6th and it is 6.06 p.m. We are returning from executive session where we met for the purpose of discussing strategy with respect to collective bargaining, Unit A and Unit E, as an open meeting may have a detrimental effect on the bargaining position of the public today, of public body. And today we're going to start with, um, with superintendent's report, item D, Superintendent Folan to discuss and present district progress, highlights, and accolades. Thank you very much. Good evening, everyone. So I'll start with a, a few highlights here. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, visit JFK last Friday, um, and I happened to walk into uh, a number of students across the classrooms engaging in uh, purposeful play. It was a really good opportunity uh, because we had, had some professional development on it. Uh, it was part of discussing what we want out of kindergarten. Uh, but just to see the, the students, they were grouped in about um, in the areas of the classroom of twos and threes. And you can see from the, the pictures that I, uh, I took, they're kindergartners. They play. It's, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful part of their life and exact, exactly where they should be developmentally. Um, purposeful play is there's some intentional um, elements to it that allows them to build strong uh, skills, uh, be it thinking skills, creative skills, problem solving, collaboration, uh, social emotional learning uh, skill sets. So you could really see it happening. Uh, it's just not playing with a set of random. You, you have your group and you might have Legos or different elements to build and we were watching the, the ball roll through and uh, they were using uh, different little pieces that could stick together and they would tell me what they were. Um, fascinating, you can see imagination run wild uh, in that moment. Um, you can see there was a restaurant on one side, the first picture there. Uh, I will tell you they're a very charismatic group, that one. They asked me to take the picture twice. The first one wasn't <laughs> quite what they wanted. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, Good luck to the RMV when they get their license. I'll tell you, they, they said, no, 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 take another one, take another one. Uh, the staff uh, and the educators moving around, interacting with them, asking questions was, was just fantastic. And it was wonderful to see um, such consistency between the classrooms, such fun and energy uh, and excitement. And some stranger walking in asking, who are you? And you know, having all of those questions, uh, uh, it just led to a wonderful element in listening to kindergartners speak to one another and how to problem solve and how to, how to think through things was pretty uh, enlightening. So congratulations uh, to all that staff that was really putting that into, into play. And um, to the students, thanks for brightening my day on that, that experience. It was great. <laughs> Fit for Funds was also another uh, fantastic. I, I decided I wasn't going to my office on fr last Friday. I needed to see some kids. <laughs> so went from JFK to seeing these in the classroom to Fit for Funds, which was a lot of outdoor activity. Um, kids were riding bikes, skateboards, walking. Um, playing capture the flag, uh, posing for pictures. So it's a blast. Uh, it is a great event that happens annually. It is uh, the one main fundraising event uh, set forth by CAP, our Canton Association of Parent Teachers. Uh, we thank that group enthusiastically and the Galva Middle School staff and administration did a fantastic job. I think they raised about four, just close to $42,000, which was close to what was last year. Remarkable. Uh, shout out to uh, CAP, GMS CAP President, Catherine Holberg, uh, for the work that she was doing, be part of the messaging. Uh, 
And ultimately, this really sets up GMS for the year uh, and for, for CAP to do that. And uh, bottom line is kids were engaging with staff and one another and really having a fun day uh, for the great purpose of, of doing some fundraising. So congratulations to all involved there. Our new principal, John Mulhern, was running around going, this is fantastic. It was a great way to spend the day. Uh, senior weekends, uh, pretty amazing as well. This is a tradition uh, that has been long in place here. Uh, the seniors really look forward to it. They come together as a class, and so they, they have an opportunity to have a cookout before uh, the football game. They have their uh, senior t-shirts. That's part of the element. There's a bunch of games, different activities, and they, they walk down to the game together. They sit together. Um, and it was a great, great environment. I think it was a USA theme. There was, the crowd was into it. Uh, the Bulldogs won the game. And then after all that, they come back the next morning and they have breakfast. And it is an outstanding breakfast. I can personally attest to that. Um, and again, they often end by taking a picture as a group in front of the Rodman building. So it's a real special weekend. Shout out to all uh, the administrators and staff that helped organize that, especially the office staff. Uh, and then also senior class advisor, Heather Sullivan. Deeply appreciative. And I want a little shout out to Ed McDonough, who if you follow him on Twitter, you have a number of pictures and videos and interviews from that particular event. Uh, just want to make mention here of uh, Chief Charlie Duty's celebration after I think 27 years uh, within the fire department. Uh, he stepped down as chief to become the town administrator. It was a wonderful uh, moment right in the firehouse for him. Uh, he has been an incredible uh, colleague and mentor of mine all the way through. I often call him my life coach sometimes, uh, but we've often uh, collaborated on a lot of efforts that uh, benefit the schools and benefit the town in general. Um, I would say this, that uh, we just had our first phone call with him as town administrator. He's gearing up for the, the budget season, helping us with MSBA. He's just really excited for the new role. Uh, we're just so happy for him. And I, I would say, uh, I also want to mention that he was a 1985 CHS grad and he was a parent in our school community as well. So I got to know him through that way. And he really was a calming and guiding voice uh, through COVID, um, someone we would often call for some advice. So uh, congratulations, Chief Duty. Staff uh, acknowledgments here. We have Coaches Day, which is today. We know that uh, coaches in the realm of uh, a young person's life uh, can be an incredible mentor and role model and make a, a great, great difference. So thank you to all of our coaches for dedicating that time and commitment uh, to the, the young people in Canton. Uh, National Principals Month. This is a, an opportunity to thank our principals. Uh, they step up, open and lead, uh, open the school year and lead in a way that uh, I've often, often said this because it was said to me, you can never fully understand what it means to be in that seat and to lead a building and sort of carry all, all of the successes and challenges uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but you have to love the work, you love the kids, you believe in the staff and you believe in, in the schools. Um, and that's what our principals, we have great principals and we want to thank them, uh, not just this month, but all the, all the days ahead. Our school custodians, uh, they, they are like the, the key players, the most well-known folks sometimes in a, in a building um, and have really big personalities and the, and the students and staff really appreciate what they do. But as when we talk to our custodians, um, be it a head custodian or folks who work the night shift, they reset and establish the learning environment each and every day, so we thank them for doing that. 
we thank them for the relationships that they create with staff and the service that they uh, that they're really in service of everyone in the building and they're just wonderful people so we thank our staff co uh, custodians as well indicators of excellence uh, we had two students achieve uh, commended status with regard to the 2023 national merit scholarship which is based on PSAT scores uh, we are so pleased to honor uh, we have Leopold McMullen and Matthew Lesser both of them were joined by uh, Principal Sperling and their counselors in the photo, and they were recognized. Um, you can see their write-up and uh, backgrounds just a little bit on the blog uh, in relation to a press release. So it, it happens every year that uh, students achieve a certain performance level, and they are commended. Uh, we are so proud of them for their academic work and their achievement level, uh, and it was nice, and I know a point of pride for Mr. Sperling to, to recognize them. Also, I, I want to recognize everyone involved for the school open houses. So they have all been complete. They are, uh, were welcoming. They were well attended. Uh, it was a great opportunity to develop relationships with the families, uh, to really get a pulse of how the building operates and, and the culture and the, the tone and the experiences for the students. Um, I just didn't want to miss the opportunity to say thank you because those are really, really important moments. I know as a parent, you go there uh, and you just want to know that your child is known. Um, you want to have a good feel for the building. You want to feel welcomed. You want to have that sense of belonging. And the open houses really do that work. So I just want to thank administration and staff and everyone involved, the custodians for making these buildings shine uh, for all of that. And just I have a note on here that as families come in and they get the energy of starting the school year to uh, possibly consider staying attached and uh, finding a role in volunteering with the school. I think that's incredibly important to kind of capture that moment. So whether it's one special event, the musicals, something on, on CAP, CAPE, school council, or the DEI teams, there's really multiple opportunities to be involved. Um, sometimes just volunteering in general or chaperoning. Please reach out to the schools. We would love to have you involved. Our professional development day, uh, it was a really, really strong day as uh, I wrote here. One of the markers of a strong school district is the uh, professional learning that happens each day, in particular on the professional development days. And Ms. Shannon did a little bit of a write-up on the 23rd. It was our first professional development day. Really, we were impressed with the agendas and the designs and the, the linking to our district goals uh, with the theme of getting to high-quality teaching, learning, and leading. You know, across all grade, uh, grades, teachers uh, who teach and support math worked with McGraw-Hill and our math coordinators to learn more about implementing Reveal, which is our new math curriculum. Had a chance to visit and sit on some of that. Uh, very good immediate feedback for staff, really strong presenters, an opportunity to learn um, the different uh, systems and opportunities to connect with students and really help them achieve at a higher level. Social studies teachers, grades five to 12, and our world language teachers continue to work on the social studies curriculum review as did the world language. English teachers from grades six to 12 worked together and they read an article by Zaretta Hammond, which is incredibly powerful on high quality instruction, equity and student engagement, and apply that learning to choose curricular resources and unit design. High school science teachers worked on curriculum mapping, while GMS science teachers and our teachers K-12 planned for the STEAM week activities ahead. Uh, busy afternoon, we we're incredibly pleased for it. We saw an elevation of learning, of adult learning that will transfer over to an elevation of student learning. So thank you to all involved, and thank you to Ms. Shannon for that write-up. Uh, just an update here, CPAC webinar. Uh, 
The CPAC is the Canton Parent Advisory Council for Student Services. They're a great group to get involved with. Uh, they're hosting a webinar workshop on Wednesday, October 12th. I would encourage uh, many, if you have the time to do it, to sign up. It starts at 6.30 and, and it's being run by uh, Engaging Minds and it's about executive functioning strategies. Certainly from a parent perspective, it gives, gives really good tips on uh, how to develop these skills and as it says, um, Parenting is not easy, there's no playbook, but when you get some strategies and support uh, so that your, your child can reach their full potential, it goes a long way. It's a wonderful partnership between the uh, parents. We have this, this uh, group here and then also educators. So go to the link, jump on there, and I'm sure it's gonna be a, a great learning experience for all. Another update here, just to kind of wrap up two final things, our school safety drills. We have conducted our fire drills. We have, uh, across the board, conducted our shelter-in-place drills, uh, and then we have our lockdown drills. We know the importance of school safety. We appreciate the collaboration and the design of all of these uh, with our school resource officers. So all of those things are happening, and, and stay tuned for uh, some continued updates with regard to school safety uh, so that we can chronicle that. And then the equity audit student voice survey started today, and that's for grades six through 12. So we, went that, we sent that uh, and made that available to the public. Um, we really, really believe that the equity audit is gonna land us with a number of rec uh, recommendations that can help us ensure successful outcomes for each and every one of our students. We believe in it greatly. Um, and the starting point here really is capturing the voice uh, of the students. They feel strongly about that. Um, so we appreciated it, uh, we worked with them. Uh, on the construction of the survey uh, and we helped coordinate it happen so thank you to all those involved that made that happen today so we're off to a strong start on October 21st that's when there's going to be an opportunity for staff and community uh, family engagement uh, to uh, have some sessions I believe those are going to be virtual we're going to have a letter that we push out to folks and we hope there's really strong involvement in that uh, the more voices we have the better that will be with the, with the final report. But we're really excited about that work. And then important dates and events. October 10th, uh, coming up, no school, Columbus Day. October 20th, school committee meeting. Uh, and then October 21st, we have our early release day, pre-K to 12. And that is a short set of upcoming events. It's all done. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Superintendent Folan. I just want to echo a couple of the points that you focused on here. Fit for Funds um, is the Galvin Middle School's one fundraiser for the year. Thank you again to everyone involved in that, um, to Katherine Hoberg and to everyone that contributed to that. And that <coughs> obviously includes staff, teachers, students, et cetera. Um, that I know that the there was a lag in the donation envelopes being turned in so I, I know that there was some concern originally that we were most of the way through and still very short of the um, the goal for it but I'm thrilled to hear that um, everyone's um, kindness and, and everything uh, came through in the end to hopefully meet that goal so um, congratulations again to Chief Duty, now Town Administrator Duty, <laughs> and to, as you mentioned, uh, Leopold and Matthew on the National Merit Scholarship. And uh, as far as you, the equity audit, just want to also encourage, as you said, everyone to be genuine and honest and partake in all seriousness for it with their, their true thoughts and feelings. Does the committee have any comments or feedback? 
Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I was remiss in the beginning in not explaining why I am leading the meeting tonight, uh, that we are without Chair Miranda tonight. We hope she's feeling better. So in her absence, I'm leading the meeting tonight. Uh, and with that, we will move on to the next agenda item, which is E, teaching and learning report for Ms. Byrne and Ms. Swede to provide an update on the CHS Access Program, which is, stands for All Children Can Expand Skill Sets. special education teacher at Canton High School. We were fortunate enough to um, have her join our school community last fall. Mm. And uh, we're also joined by two of her students, Tristan and Brianna. I mentioned that we were doing this and we had two volunteers, so. Awesome. So we're thrilled. So Miss um, Weed joined us after having over nine years as a special education teacher and team chair in Norton. And um, she came on board and we had already had some substantially separate programming, but we spent a lot of time last year really analyzing our students and what their needs are and creating a cohesive um, description of the access program, which actually runs from kindergarten all the way through grade 12. So we have programs at the Hanson and the Galvin. All in all, we have about 30 students that benefit from this program. And um, it is a substantially separate program in that the bulk of the students receive a lot of their core instruction from a special education teacher outside the general ed classroom. But I would be remiss if I didn't say its greatest impact is um, really you know, encouraging us and pushing us to be more inclusive to the members of our school community as a whole. So all of our students participate with their typical peers in um, sometimes content area classes, definitely elected, things like project teammate and specials, and certainly extracurriculars. I don't know if you got the chance to check out Unified Basketball today, but that was a very pleasant way to spend the afternoon. Um, so I'm just beyond thrilled to have Miss Sweet here and her students to share more about the program with all of you. <laughs> Go ahead, if you want to get up the mic. Sure. All right, so TG, you're gonna help me, right? Um, Um, all right, so the access program is, you know, we're s still working on building it, um, but it's really a place that is going to provide kind of those wraparound supports where we're working with a team of specialists to make sure that we're supporting all students, um, working with the occupational therapist, the physical therapist, the speech and language pathologist, and all of them. We meet um, once a week. As a, on a consulting basis and then in addition to what individual students need um, in accordance with their IEP. So we work really closely to make sure that we're providing all of those skill areas in order to help students become active and engaged community members, right? Whether it's at the Canton High School, Canton Public Schools, or the greater Canton community and beyond. Um, so making sure that we're really focusing on skills that be go beyond um, 
those core academic skills where we are working on those. Um, you'll see in my next slide. Um, but also looking at those social, no, thank you. Also working on those social skills, um, the vocational skills, um, personal goals, and looking towards post-secondary education opportunities and building those community connections. Um, so our academics, even though we're you know, in a substantially separate class working with inclusion opportunities for students to push into other classes and to make sure that we're really structuring it so that they can be successful um, interacting with peers and engaging in the academics. Um, it's, a, it's a modified curriculum based on grade standards. Uh, it gives us opportunities to kind of go at a little bit slower of a pace, um, cyclical teaching and using kind of the strategies that help to support each of the students. Brianna, do you want to tell them a little bit about that study? Go ahead. Hi, my name is Brianna. I'm a junior at CHS, and I'm going to talk to you about Best Buddies. So Best Buddies is something we did last year. Um, we had all these kids come from the study to come to our room and we played a lot of games or we have like a little courtyard in our room where we can go outside and like draw on the walls with some chalk. So um, Best Buddies is part of the school and one of the great things about it is once um, the high school has it, um, it's actually open to any of the other schools in the district to use that name. Um, and with it also comes other opportunities for those post-secondary things, which is you know the leadership development group. Um, they have integrated employment, um, so supported employment opportunities for students as they get towards that like 22-year-old um, age, and then also inclusive living, um, and really practicing those skills for independent living. Um, TG, <coughs> you want to tell them about Unified? Yeah. What do you play? You play what sports? I do unified basketball and unified track. What's your favorite? Do you like basketball or track better? One question, ready? What's your favorite? Do you like basketball or track better? Track. You like track, yeah. Uh, we were talking about it earlier and uh, TG had told me, he was like, I like track because I can run, throw, and win. And you know, we get medals <laughs> and track. TJ, stay in here with the group, please. Um, so Unified Sports is an opportunity for inclusive, um, competitive sports. So we have Unified Basketball, Unified Track and Field, which you guys probably know about. Um, we have the Unified Basketball today. We also have extended, um, we also have clubs with Unified Robotics that takes place once a month. Um, and that was actually today as well. And Unified Legos, so that seems to be a special interest for some of the students. They decided they wanted to form the club, so uh, we got the stuff together to do that. So that's another opportunity for students to interact, engage, um, and to really become more comfortable with other students in the community and how um, we get to know each other a little bit better. So I usually look at it as like facilitated opportunity because students are going to make friendships. Like they're going to form the friendships, but they need the chance to meet, connect, and build them. So anytime we can do that, you talk, go for it. So Project Teammate is is a class about um, friendship. Um, Project Team, we play a lot of games in the gym. 
and we play just dance in the yoga room as well. And some of the games we play in gym are basketball, um, volleyball, badminton, and uh, cornhole. So um, Project Team is obviously it's a unified class. Uh, it gives us the opportunity to have an inclusion um, physical education class when we, and cut back on some of those sensory things that can get involved, right? That can interrupt students' ability to really fully engage um, in the activity itself. Because if you've ever been in a gym, it echoes and it's kind of a lot of things going on. Um, so it provides us the opportunity to really focus in on individual student needs and give them that chance to have the inclusion class with peers without disabilities. Um, and this year in particular, we have added on, um, so it's a full year, um, and including a modified health curriculum as well. Um, and then looking to build some of the leadership part of it for some of our friends that do not have disabilities, um, as well as our students with disabilities, and looking at how um, we move from being kind of aware of disability rights and disability um, history and move into that advocacy stage where we're really supporting and uplifting students and people with disabilities to be able to speak up for what they need. Um, so I've been joining once a week, once a cycle with the class and we've been doing lessons around that as well. Hold that pizza, want to tell them what you do? All right. Volta Bistro is something we do every day one in the morning. Um, we serve coffee, hot chocolate, and some food. So all our customers can come and get what they order in the morning. Um, so for Bulldog Bistro, it's really providing that opportunity for transferring and practicing um, those vocational skills in a real world setting. Um, and being able to bring that and hopefully bring it into uh, our you know, future lives, whatever we want to do. Um, so that kind of leads me into Prius. Is a new, it's, it, it's been around. Um, we've been doing it, but kind of with COVID, things have fallen a little bit apart. So we have reconnected with um, Prius, which is Pre-Employment Transition Services. Uh, it's a group that works under Mass Rehab Commission and they provide those vocational um, skills. And again, they work off of individuals. So students check off the areas um, of those five kind of core areas that they are interested in learning about, whether it's job exploration, um, workplace readiness, work-based learning experiences, which are limited, but they have, um, it's actually through the state and students can uh, have a paid internship funded by MRC, so they get paid minimum wage to do a job with supported employment. Um, and the, they have the counseling on post-secondary education and self-advocacy and peer mentoring. Um, so they'll come in to Canton and they're gonna provide some services to work with students individually and hopefully that's a pre-connection to adult services and moving into that adult living. Um, so the students before they are eligible for MRC can go through this service and then move towards MRC with that connection or if they're going to be supported by DBS. Um, which is Department of Developmental Services. That's just their tiered model. Um, we're kind of in that middle model, learning about like what we're interested in, where our skills, um, interests, and abilities align. We have a field trip for self-advocacy coming up through Prietz, and that is in order to make students, you know, any student, 
um, be able to kind of in, to identify what their needs are and to be able to ask for them in an assertive manner. And we do a lot with self-advocacy and speaking out for yourself. Um, there's been a huge correlation between students' abilities to do that and their ability to maintain jobs, to be successful in post-secondary environments, which could be post-secondary education, living, working, um, and friendships. Because if you can't ask for what you need, you're probably not going to get it. Um, and the last part is looking at the community. Um, we've been building a couple of different connections. I've recently been in touch with the MBTA, and they it's a new program where they're providing travel training support for students. So they're going to come to Canton. They'll bring a, um, a bus, so like a tr public transit bus, which is going to be different than uh, the typical yellow bus that students are used to taking. So they're going to bring that. We'll work on um, safety skills, uh, you know, getting on and off the bus, entering, exiting, paying, all of those money skills as well. Um, and they will be providing that support with us. I think it's, they're coming in October 25th. And then kind of using those skills and bringing our classroom into the community so that we can get those hands-on experiences will be the next things. I think that's all the new things coming up this year. Did anyone have questions? Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Uh, and Brianna and TG, phenomenal job. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. Uh, keeping, as you said before, Miss Sweet and Miss Burton too, and thank you to everyone in charge of this and, and on the day to day, which involves many people for sure. And as you said, keeping active and engaged community members and really a path forward into into what they're gonna do next is awesome. So and I love the involvement with with your peers and the as you said, helping them, kind of giving them the, the connection piece, the place to be to connect. Yes. Is wonderful. Do I have any comments or questions? I have a comment. Yes. I know really enjoy Project Team Night and it's very enjoyable for their day at school, whether they're playing just dance or playing games, it's really a great opportunity for everyone. Um, I want to echo some of what's already been said. Uh, this seems like a great program and I really appreciate how you connected it to how this is benefiting the students and in, in what they will do with this in a go forward basis. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yes, Ms. Oh, so just, have a, just one quick question. Yeah, I'm just curious. So, how long has this program been around? Is it new this year? That's a great question. So, the classroom has been around for a long time, right? Okay. It's been kind of my classroom. Um, but students were going to a bunch of different classes, and there wasn't kind of that coordinated effort to really. Um, well, there's probably a coordinated effort, but there wasn't that coordinated one person to kind of oversee all of the different aspects of what that could look like for the students. Um, so I came in in January of last year and kind of started to become that central figure within the, the classroom. So it's emerging into a program. <laughs> okay, and then it, it's going to be K to 12? It already is. Yeah, so okay. we've actually always had these yeah. programs. Yeah. It was, um, we've had, it varied year to year depending on the cohort of students, right? So our charge is to kind of create programming that we have for our students as we see their needs expand. So last year we wound up, um, we had to expand and go K to two where we traditionally had three to five, six to eight and Miss Weed's program. And part of that in looking at our students coming back was 
um, identifying those clear criteria about you know what is the student profile um, you know what are the resources that we need to commit to it having those program descriptions and making those community connections so like things like project teammate don't necessarily exist right in the elementary level but we have reverse inclusion opportunities or kids go to you know PE classes music specials things like that with their with their grade level peers so it really varies depending on the individual students need but we found that by um, creating more robust programs with really clear descriptions we're able to um, allow all of our students to benefit and it also gives an opportunity um, you know school to school to kind of build that continuum of service in a meaningful way so um, these programs were, were already in existence but now we've just kind of solidified them I think and, and named them and um, started to be able to even reach out to community members to say this is what we're about this is who we serve and and bring about more connections that way so uh, to that point then I would find it very helpful if you can make a note of an action to come back and get the full scope so we're, we're seeing a piece of it but I'd be interested in learning more about the, the K to 12 piece of it so what's happening in elementary and middle um, the other question I have is I'm trying to figure out we also have an 18 and 22 program mm -hmm. and how does that program fit with this program yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the students in the in the access program are still working on their um, you know MCAS core content curriculum framework. So all of the students through grade ten also still participate in that. They some of them may take an MCAS alt. So um, and the students are still working on the curriculum frameworks just at their ability level and those um, entry points that we kind of use through the state framework to build their education. Students in our postgraduate program in the eighteen to twenty two program um, would still have academic components. Uh, but we're, we're working off more of their individual um, education programs and primarily focused on activities of daily living, community vocational skills, and um, those interpersonal social skills. Okay. So, all right. So then to that end, in terms of looking at a deeper look at the, the K-12 piece, I'd also like the 18 to 22 just to see, because if we have students with us through the age of 22, how does that work? Mm -hmm. um, I am as assuming it's a, some type of continuum. Um, but I think to get more information would be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. And we're always, I mean, it, they're sort of, they exist, and then we also take it on an individual level, too. So there are some students that participate, um, you know, whether it's at the high school level or the elementary level in partial inclusion programs that may be, you know, participating for a certain specific skill set, right, with a, with a special education teacher who really, um, you know, this is their, their wheelhouse, right? They, they do a phenomenal job in that whereas they may not spend the bulk of their day in the program too. So there's just, there's so many different avenues. So we obviously live in a world where we have to individualize things, but wherever we can try to make it a cohesive group and a meaningful experience, mm -hmm. um, you know, we do that with creative programming. Because in recent years, I think the field made a lot of changes. We had a therapeutic group at the middle school, a therapeutic group at the high school. To my mind, they're sort of disjointed. I don't quite know how they all fit together. Yeah. So I think to come back with an overview and again, how it all fits together would be really helpful. 100%. So in our program description work that we did last year for Access, this year's DACA is the therapeutic program. Mm -hmm. And then moving into some of our language-based programming, our partial inclusion programming, it just, um, you know, it's definitely something that we need to do to be for people to be able to see the pathway. Um, and then also it's a great um, celebration for us with regards to the offerings that our schools can provide and the, the different needs that we're able to meet. I mean. Personally, the access program, I mean, we are growing and growing um, through move-ins or through um, other students that are identified as maybe needing more substantial services, and it's a great problem to have, right? How we expand and grow. We've increased our um, partnerships with our augmentative communication specialist over the year because we have a lot of students now that are using AAC devices to communicate. Um, you know, so, and that involves 
professional development for all of our teachers really and students so we want our kids and our staff to be able to interact with our students who have you know different means and methods of communicating so it is growing and it's exciting but happy to you know bring more information forward yeah just one last question how do we fund this yeah that was my next question thank <laughs> yeah. you how do we find like all of Harry, how where's it hit, hit, hit the budget because I feel like I haven't seen it so I'm just curious how we fund why? Is it on student services funding? I have no idea. Yeah, it's all student services okay. funding. So it's, um, I mean, it's funded from a variety of, of okay. you know, operating okay. um, and then our other student okay. services, you know, funding mechanisms depending on what our total expenses are at the end of the year. But, um, you know, to, uh, you know, a special education teacher is, you know, funded right. out of the operating budget. Um, so you might not see a program listed specifically in the budget, but, um, you know, teachers, uh, any other staff that are associated with that program is, is in the operating budget. The reason I feel like is like once I see a name something, I do wonder sort of does it need to be broken out in the budget as a separate line item for certain things that need to be funded, or is it funded, as you said, through special ed money and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, from a business office uh, budgeting standpoint, we typically don't look at it. Um, you know, we look at it at the at the different levels. Um, so we're looking at it, you know, at that K to two level or that three to um, five, um, you know, six to eight, and then nine to 12, 18 to 22. We're looking at it in those different pieces. Um, but it, it does, you know, it's all combined kind of um, in those areas. We're not looking at it in the specific programming. Um, you know, we do have those conversations as we're analyzing from year to year or um, looking into a future budget cycle, but um, in the operating budget, you wouldn't see anything listed by a specific program. Can I ask a clarifying question? Of course, yes. Thank you for the presentation and everything that you've educated us on. I have a question. You mentioned that it's growing, the program is growing, and as you're growing, do you find that you have the support needed to grow because of the demand? Is it growing because we have more demand for the, for the program itself, and how can we support the growth from a school committee perspective. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've had a lot of um, movement related growth within our programs. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, we're looking for those opportunities where we can really allow our special education departments to look at critical skills that kids need support with. And, um, you know, so if there's a teacher or, you know, um, a motor group, like I think about motor group at the pre-K level, right, versus, um, you know, a social skills group. Um, or we have co-treats with like PTNO treats, so kids are able to cycle in and out of that too, which is just a really great resource to have um, with our related services. So we are constantly looking at what we need, and um, you know I think it's one of those um, we're at a point now where I think mostly we're investing in our specialized staff now, yeah. so that they have a lot of the skills that they need to meet a diverse group of learners. And so focusing on PD and our ability to network and communicate with people who are doing similar programming in other towns too is sort of a, a big a big push for us so that um, you know we have communities of people who are doing job alikes and things that are like-minded so you're not feeling like you're building it alone and then opportunities for us to come together as a whole staff too um, and have opportunities for teachers at different levels to be able to group plan work on MCAS alts which are a lot of work um, and support one another in, in those initiatives too learning from each other it's certainly a huge piece helpful. as you said <laughs> thanks Excellent. one more question if it's okay Brianna do you mind telling us about what one of your favorite field trips was yeah um, last year we went bowling with the, the Galvin Middle School and it was a lot of fun to see all my old teachers and old friends oh excellent 
So we did it as like an initiative for transition so that students at the middle school could come start to get to know some of the students and myself. Excellent. Um, so hoping, I'm hoping to be able to expand on that as we you know, get into the second half of this year. So that they're ready and comfortable and kind of ready to go when we start the school year. Fantastic. Any other questions? <coughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for the great work you're doing. Thank you. I am going to um, exercise the option to move one of the agenda items, item H, up, um, which is public comment. And I know we did not have anyone signed up virtually or in person before. However, if anyone else is here for public comment, wanted to, to bring that to the forefront now. So just a reminder um, that public comment allows individuals to express an opinion or share a comment on issues to be discussed on the meeting agenda and or within the school committee's authority. It is not an opportunity for discussion, dialogue between individuals and the school committee or administration. And to respect the time of all participants in the meeting, the totality of individual comments cannot exceed five minutes. And I would ask, um, oh yes, yes, Ms. Moran, if you would mind keeping track of that for us. Wonderful. Yes, if you would please just step up and say Hi, I'm Susie Joyce, 31 Brooksville Road. I spoke a couple school committee meetings ago. I've had numerous emails back and forth about the C1 bus. That's a combined CHS GMS bus. Um, I figured maybe if you saw my face, it would be, you know, a little bit better anyway. Um, if you recall, it's a combined bus, so the Galvin Mill school kids are going to the high school. They essentially, or so the route says, pass right past the Ponkapog neighborhood, which probably that bus, I would think probably has close to 20 kids on it combined, um, middle school, high school. It passes right by the neighborhood. It goes up past Blue Hills. It comes down around, um, you know, goes down Green Street and then makes its way back into the neighborhood. So the middle school kids are on the bus for an hour. Um, my high schooler is on the bus for you know 30 to 40 minutes she chooses to get off and cross 138 um, which to me is not very safe so I did request a stop at Washington and Hubbard Street so um, superintendent Fullen did um, call with great news today was the day Washington and Hubbard Street stop then after that he's gonna look at Punkapog only GMS run and then we'll revisit what the high school run is going to look like passing the neighborhood. Today is the day. Nope, today was not the day. So as my daughter said, it, it doesn't even go past Washington and Hubbard Street. I'm not even sure what the poster route is, but today she said it stopped sort of by St. Gerard's and it went up the Wentworth Tilden area must have turned left on 138 and then continues down 138. So she got off at her regular stop. That's not, that is not the route that's published. It's not the route that's published. In talking to her a little bit further today, she was like, we never go by there, or we rarely go by there. Yet that's the published route. It's supposed to be at Washington and Ridge Hill, and then I believe it would turn left at Pearl's Market. She was like, ever since you got involved, we've never stopped we've never gone there past there so now I'm just curious as to what that route is so I'm curious as to what the route is I'd also really I cannot strongly 
suggest and urge that you actually make this bus route a priority. It's ridiculous. The middle school is two miles from Ponkapok, and they're on the bus for an hour. You know, there are families that are paying, I mean, I pay one, $300. There are families that are paying, you know, close to $1,000 for their kids to ride the bus. That's absurd. It's really crazy. So I just respectfully ask that that bus route become a high priority. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. Joyce. Is there anyone else here for public comment? No. Okay. Hearing none, we will continue where we were on the agenda. Um, going with unfinished business, item F1, and that is the policy section C, second read. Uh, just to, to make everyone aware, we did have a, uh, a policy committee meeting last week and review some notes that Chair Miranda had shared with us about um, some questions, possible elaborations, and additions of information for policy C, or the C policies, I should say, and in her absence tonight, I'm suggesting perhaps that we hold on the actual vote. However, would would encourage anyone with feedback or, or comments that, that we could engage in hearing those, just so that we make sure, of course, that when a vote happens, that it's it's everyone. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Okay. 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 So if, yeah, if we can hold it. You know, okay. I promise I will. We, we figured we were going to be going to a second or third read, so yes. no problem. Okay. Okay, excellent. So we will hold on on uh, any vote on Section C. And bring it to the third read, at which time we will likely vote. Okay, so that being said, uh, going to G, new business, item one, uh, for pro teacher professional status celebration. Happy news, yep. Superintendent Follin, um, to acknowledge and congratulate staff members for attaining professional status. Great, and welcome to our staff members that are, that are here. Uh, I'm very pleased to, to uh, talk about a new tradition, which is honoring uh, our educators that reach uh, professional status. Um, and for folks not in the education world, uh, as you enter into a district, um, you have the designation of pre-professional status. Um, and that designation lands within three years, uh, and then through evaluation, continuous improvement, investment uh, in, in professional learning, investment in the district and the growth that you see, uh, after year three and at the very start of year four, uh, educators have the opportunity to achieve professional status in which essentially uh, the district is making a long-term commitment uh, as you as an educator. Um, and it's a really important milestone um, having been an educator and you, you reach professional status, it matters. Um, and it, it's a real commitment to the students, your uh, profession, uh, your work with colleagues, your, your in individual, um, I think, resilience in um, making sure that each and every day you're, you're providing the best uh, for teachers. So we really felt um, in acknowledging our staff that this was a moment in time uh, when we just wanted to take a take a little time to publicly thank you and congratulate you in reaching this professional milestone. Uh, so each and every year we'll have um, a different number of folks who reach 
this uh, professional milestone. But this year we have 12, and we have a few that we're able to attend tonight. Uh, we had really, really nice notes from a number who just had family commitments, which we fully understand. Uh, and we're kind of evolving as how we want to do this recognition. Uh, but what I would love to do is maybe recognize the folks who uh, shared with us that they might be able to attend tonight so we can have you come to the podium and just say hello. So, <laughs> oh, did you not know that was happening? Uh, but I'd love to have Nancy Kidd come down, Leanne Palin, Anna Russo, and Brandon Chin. You have speeches prepared, right? <laughs> <laughs> You've been waiting for this moment. Uh, first, Brandon, Brandon, eighth grade social studies teacher. Brandon, congratulations on reaching professional status. Uh, we have Nancy, right? Nancy, uh, elementary teacher, and you go to all the elementary schools, correct? Yes, and the Rodman as well. And the Rodman, thank you. Uh, Leanne Palin, and uh, Leanne is a loose uh, speech and language pathologist. Congratulations on reaching professional status. Nana Russo is our pre-K school psychologist. Thank you. So thank you so much for coming. Uh, before you share any words or anything along those lines, we have a little bit of gift. Mr. Marshall, would you mind helping me? Free promotion for shorts here. <laughs> Before we maybe share congratulations or give you an opportunity to say something, I just want to recognize your colleagues that also have a reach, reach professional uh, status. And, uh, thank you. And that's Paul Fitzgerald. He's a CHS adjustment counselor. Sean Hulsman, a CHS science and math teacher. Rebecca Backmender, GMS world language, French and Spanish teacher. Uh, Kelly Corsetti, GMS counselor. Emily Diamond. GMS sixth grade science, Susan Dumphy, uh, kindergarten teacher at the Hanson. We have uh, Libby Dixon, who's our JFK kindergarten teacher. Samara Murad, who's our uh, kindergarten teacher at JFK. Uh, Ellen Stedman, who's our JFK nurse. And then we have uh, Brandon, Nancy, Leanne, and Anna. So congratulations to all of you. And they're not able to be here tonight, but CTA uh, President Laura Mahan and Vice President Sarah Jonkis give their best wishes to you as well. They had a meeting, um, but we really are pleased to start this new tradition and uh, commemorate your professional milestone. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you guys for having me. The opportunity is good. <laughs> I will ask you something. Oh, yes, fantastic. please. <laughs> I just want to say that I love being a part of the camp community. I was a stay-at-home mom for a while, and I came back to work, and I couldn't be happier. Um, 
in where I work and the people that support me from the special ed department to the other SLPs and the principal and the staff. Um, I really enjoy coming to work every day. So thank you for all you do for us. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Now moving on to new business G, item two, transportation update. And Superintendent Folan, Mr. Marshall, and first student representative, I think Jessica Quinn, is here for a transportation update. for allowing me to speak tonight. I'm Jessica Quinn. I'm the area general manager for First Student. So really what I want, how I wanted to start is I really wanted to share First Student's mission. So First Student's mission is to provide unmatched care and the safest ride to school so when students arrive, they, they've started their day with an exceptional experience and are ready to achieve their full potential. Now it's very clear to me that we've really missed the mark here in Canton. So what I wanted to do was share a letter. And I know there's a letter, um, I, I didn't want to just pass it out to people, I wanted to read it so you guys could hear it from first student. I'm gonna post it as well, but Canton community, we recognize the start to the school, this school year has been challenging. And we want you to know that this is not representative of the level of service Canton Public Schools or your family should expect from first student, nor is it reflective of the service levels we want to provide you. Our full focus remains on transporting your students in a safe and timely manner to help ensure every bus route arrives on time so students can focus on their education. We have been closely analyzing bus routes daily and making, making necessary adjustments to enhance our performance. We understand what an inconvenience a delayed route is for families and school administrators. Our team continues to work diligently to minimize the impact. Over the past week, we have made incredible strides as all buses transporting Canton Public School students have arrived at schools prior to bell times. We continue to monitor the efficiency of our routes and make adjustments as needed, especially as we prepare for winter weather. If you have any transportation issues, please reach out to us at 781-961-3824 so we can promptly address your service concern. And then for non-urgent matters, you can also reach out to us at firstfeedback.com. Thank you for your patience and understanding during this time. We look forward to working with the district and provide a level of service that the families deserve. Now, I myself am a mother of small children, so I understand the impact and, and how disruptive it can be to not have reliable school transportation. So I wanna talk about some of the things that we've done um, and some of the things that we are gonna do um, to really improve our service levels. So first, how, what are we doing now? Um, 
we are communicating any uh, any transportation delay during the transit time immediately to the schools. So if there's something that comes up unexpectedly, we make sure you know we're communicating to the schools. Um, the other thing is we really have this process around route remediation that we're working through. So the first part of that is on a daily basis we're pulling data and we look at route by route, school by school, um, what the arrival times are. And then we provide any remediation that needs to be done. We then communicate any necessary changes to the school department. And obviously it's not a you know immediate change. There has to be some time to allow for uh, family communication. Um, and then once the, the, there's an agreed upon implementation date, we make sure that the driver is aware of that change and we communicate it to the driver so that they can pick up the, the student or make that change in the route. In addition, outside of the route remediation, we've also, the, the district has put together a bus issue tracker. So all issues get logged in this tracker. We review it on a daily basis and then any issue that comes up, we go and investigate it and resolve the issue. I also want to be clear, our office is fully staffed from the time actually before the first bus leaves in the morning till after the first bus gets back. So we have a full team at our office um, ready to, to help anyone, any issue that arises during transportation times after or in between the school time if any parent wants to call. We are here to help and, and, and help with any issues that anyone is experiencing. As I said earlier in the letter, we have made some tremendous strides. Here is um, the current performance that we've had. If you look at it five minutes prior to bell time, we on the fourth, we were at 98%, and, and over the last week, all of our buses have hit the bell time. I will tell you, today's information was not um, on this presentation, but it is the same as October 4th. So we've had some strong, um, strong improvement. but. But I want to be clear, we're, we're not done. Just because you know, we've had some strong improvement, we're, we are not done. So I want to talk a little bit about our next steps. So first, we're going to continue to aggressively address on-time performance through the daily analysis and remediation. We're going to continue to communicate any changes to the district and the, and the drivers, specifically paying attention to the high traffic days, um, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And this was a, a learning that we had that, you know, obviously a lot, of, uh, a lot of families, their parents work remotely on Mondays and Fridays. So there is a different level of traffic in this community on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, which has to have adjustments for the routing and ca will cause delays if you don't. The next thing is making, ensuring that our routes are ready for inclement weather. So just because we might be meeting the time frames today doesn't mean when inclement weather starts that we'll continue to meet those time frames. So we need to make sure we're prepared for that inclement weather so we can um, continue to meet the, the time frames. And then the next one, which I'm, I'm, I'm probably the most excited about, but is our First View app. And it's a parent tracking app so parents can track the buses, and I'm going to talk about that in, in a couple of slides, but I think that's going to be a game changer for this community. I think it's, in, in other communities where we've had it, it's really made a big impact, so I'm really excited to launch it here in Canton. And then we're going to continue to monitor and evaluate performance, and I'm going to tell you how we, um, how we do that. So we have a tool at First Student that we call the Daily Dispatch. 
And every day that a manager gets into their office, they, they come into an email evaluating the previous day's performance. So it looks at a, a number of different things. The first thing it looks at is their on-time performance. And it looks at it from a, a bunch of different aspects. It looks at a driver's on-time performance. It looks at um, a school's on-time performance. It looks at are we leaving the depot late? Where were the issues? So we can help identify any issues within a route. The next thing is the driver compliance. So prior to leaving the lot, our drivers are expected to pre-trip their bus. They go around making sure that bus is safe to drive prior to picking up any students. So it shows us, are they, you know, are they compliant? Are they hitting all aspects of the bus? This is all done electronically. So are they hitting all aspects of the bus? Also, were there any issues from the previous day from a safety perspective? So it identifies any heartbreaking events, any idling um, issues. It, ide it identifies any rapid acceleration. So we can go back and identify it. I mean, sometimes there are reasons for heartbreaking, right? A bus gets cut off. There, there is a reason. If there's a pattern, then we can have coaching conversations with our drivers to make sure that that ride, the student gets the safest ride to school. Um, in addition, we have a, a child check compliance. So if anyone has watched our buses, after we, after a um, students are delivered either at the end of either in the morning or in the afternoon, all the buses stop for about a minute or two and every driver goes through and checks to make sure there are no students left on the bus. It is a routine that we do any, any place we go. We call it our child check. We want to make sure that no student is left unattended in a vehicle. And we have that computerized as well. So they, as they're going back, they also scan their card to make sure that you know, the child check is completed. In addition, we have very stringent standards on our own maintenance. We make sure we maintain our buses for preventative maintenance every 90 days. So if we're off on any of that, it will tell us that, hey, we need to get our bus into the shop to, to make sure that we are following our own internal stringent standards. Um, and then from a swipe compliance standpoint, is the, the driver uh, clocking in on time? Um, in addition for the, the reporting from that perspective, we also have a number of ways when the bus is out on the road. So we have two-way radios, so if there's any, if there's any issue, um, if someone calls into our office, we can radio to that driver and get, get communication and talk through any issue that is going on. Um, the school department also has a, a radio as well. Um, in addition, there are video cameras, so if there's any behavioral issues, we can take the hard drive out of our computer, out of our, our, our um, video cameras, and make sure that the school department has a reader so they can address any potentially, typically that student behavior issues is, is where that arrives. Um, so we, we you know, pass those, those videos along to the school department. And obviously to get all this data, our buses are equipped with GPS units to be able to track all this information. So the next thing that I really wanted to talk about, and again, what I'm most excited about is, is First View. Now, First View is really in two different phases, two different portions of it. There's the district view, and we had our first kickoff call yesterday, so we are in the implementation stages now. Um, the first thing that will roll out is this district view. Um, and what's really exciting about it is, uh, you know, someone from the district can go on and look at a screen and see where all the buses are at one time. 
Um, they can see what direction the buses are, are going. If there's any ever question about what happened on a bus, they can replay the route from either that day or the previous day. So it will give all that information. And I can tell you, in talking to districts that, um, that have this district view, I think what they like the, the best about it is when it comes to inclement weather, they know, um, you know, that's when buses tend to have delays if there's any inclement weather. They know when all their buses are home safe. They're not calling, is this bus cleared? Is this bus cleared? They can see on the screen, oh, all the buses are cleared, this bus is cleared. So if there's any issues, it's that immediate, you know, immediate response. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is the parent view. And this is what I think about as the game changer, really. Um, and this is in the next level of the implementation process. Um, so this is our parent app, and it allows parents to track the bus. They can send, um, they can set it up so they can have push notifications if they want a message to come 10 minutes before the bus is coming. They'll be able to set that up. They'll have to enable that on their, their own. In addition, if they enable the push notifications, it will allow us as well to communicate to them if there are any delays or any issues um, in the route. For example, oh, you know, there's a road closure. This is causing a 10 minute delay. Uh, for us, your, your bus will be running 10 minutes behind schedule. So we could populate that out to the parents so they know what to expect. And then, um, so this has really been great for in, in communities that, um, that have launched this. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I think this will be uh, a great tool. Um, but before I go into any questions, I just want to say, you know, as a first student employee and, and a parent, I want to reiterate how I really understand and I know what unreliable bus service does to a family and the impact and how disruptive it can be. You, you have not only my commitment, but first student's commitment that we're going to get it right. We're going to make sure that not only are we living up to our own expectations, but Canton gets the service that the families deserve. So thank you. And if there's questions. Thank you very much, Ms. Quint, for, for being here. And um, first of all, I'll just start it off with a couple comments and then, of course, turn it over for more comments. But uh, I thoroughly appreciate your acknowledgement of the challenges, the onboarding that we've had, um, and the big impact on the students, their learning, the families, um, the district teachers, administration, everyone from it. Um, I know we had a, an extensive workshop last week with school committee members and administration and first student um, via Zoom last week, workshop model. Um, and one of the things that we discussed was generally the resources going back to first student for the communication for that. We always want to be in the loop, of course. Um, we're, we're not removing ourselves from that, but in terms of triaging any day-to-day -day challenges, that that's more on, and, and rightfully so, on yeah. first student's behalf now. So I want to underscore what you said before about the phone number, the 781-961-3824, and for any emergency situations, and then the, the firstfeedback.com um, website form for, for any other comments. And, um, one, one question I have initially from that, and not speaking about any particular routes, but we heard a, a comment prior to this about possible route changes. So mm -hmm. just in generality, not any particular route. Wanted to see if you could comment on that, on changes that may still be evolving, and when those are hopefully gonna be 
fully implemented? Yeah, so we continue to look at and, and evolve uh, and change routes. You know, a route continues to change as if new students enter the district, you know, if you add any new stops, it changes a route by a couple of minutes. And then if you add three stops, you know, it, it pushes a route out. So as much as I would say, I would love to say, oh, the routes are done and set for the year, there's always, there's always in any district some changes. Usually they become more and more minor. Um, you know, I think we've done a lot with some of our AM routes, and um, I, I think we're, what we're looking at more is how do we look at some of the PM routes now? So what we've been doing, in addition to our you know daily tracking, we, we've been relatively consistent on our, our, our morning performance, is what we're looking at in the afternoon too. So we're doing a couple things. We're taking the routes as they are, and we're, we're, we're comparing not only from a, um, performance level to the schools, we're looking at are we meeting the times that we that are, are, are sent to the school department? Are we meeting those times on a stop level? So that's the first part. So then there could be some minor adjustments. Most parents seem to have, even if their route is off a little bit, they've seemed to adjust to that. Um, we, when we've been running them, they have been within a few minutes for the most part. So that's what we're looking at now. Now we're going to turn our, our, our focus to some of the PM. Um, and, and, and look at those challenges. So I don't have a specific timeline for you, but I would say you know we won't see any any major upheaval in the AM routes. I think they're they're pretty structured. We might look at trying to provide efficiencies so that kids don't have to ride the bus as long in the afternoon. That's really what we're focusing on: is how can we minimize that time? Is there a more efficient way to go? So we can, and, and that's what we're looking on. So I don't think it will be as impactful. Um, to, to families, but we want to make sure we're communicating out any of those changes. Okay, thank you. That's the thing I'm most excited for, <laughs> is for that to all be established, and then I'm excited for the app after that too, but is the first here. Do I have questions for me? I do have. Yes, if I don't. Um, thank you for being here and for addressing these concerns head on. Um, I think that's very important. I was wondering about whether or not changes are posted. So when routes change, our parents or is the school district who's informed? So when we have any routes, we change, we provide the school department with an updated route. I can't speak to where that route, the process after that point. So I, I, to be honest, I don't know the answer to that. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. So normally we're making changes to routes um, in coordination you know, with first student. Um, the roots sheets are then sent to us um, from first student. We're trying to do them on, um, you know, at least a, a 24 hour notice. Um, and then those are uh, emailed out specifically to um, any families that are assigned to that bus specific bus route. And then the website uh, routes are updated. Um, and so that has happened uh, almost daily since um, the start of school, to be perfectly honest. Some of them are very minor changes um, that might only impact, you know, if we need to add a student um, that is new to the district, mm -hmm. if that's the third stop on a route, that might push two minutes, right, to every, every stop after that. So um, there might not be a huge change to the route, but it might be a small impact. And so we're, we're because of that, we're notifying all families. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense, thank you. Um, I was looking at the times and it sounds like, and I couldn't make it to the workshop, but thank you for being available for that discussion. Um, I'm wondering how you get there faster if you don't start earlier. 
So I guess I am still looking at those morning roots and 92% is great, but it means 8% isn't hitting it yet. And um, that's fine for right now, but as you said, it's just gonna get harder. And so that's why we're looking at inclement weather and, right. and where we're doing it, where it's five, five minutes prior. We're really setting our goal to 10 minutes prior to give a little bit more time. So those where you'll see some of the small tweaks. And then what happens in every school district, just as a route evolves, it gets shorter and shorter as the time goes. Drivers get more comfortable with the routes. Um, just, you know, students get more familiar with the process. They know where to sit on the bus. It just speeds up the entire process. So you, as the, the time goes on, it just gets a little bit quicker um, in, in general. So we're, we're gonna see and we're gonna realize some of that time, but we are looking at it now. It, it, and we have to be careful because we don't wanna bring it too early, right. you know, and that, that's what we're, we're kind of playing with and, and looking at at times. You know, if it's the first stop, what is it, where, what does it do if it's the first school, excuse me, if it's the first school that we drop off at, you know, that's fine, but how early can we get there? So we have some schools, for example, or some routes that go to the, um, they pick up everyone and then they go to the uh, middle school and then to the high school. So those are the buses that tend to arrive later to the high school. And it's how early can we get to the middle school? And I know it's, um, uh, it's 820 and, and we just wanna make sure sometimes those buses are already at 821. So we don't have that much time to move that, that route up early. So that's what we look at. So it's not as easy as just, well, let's just move up the time because there's a couple other considerations. And that's what we're running up against with those routes that are typically, are usually ones that have a, a, a prior school and we're right on that time. So we have to look at that in-between time. Okay, and then my last question um, is fed from a little bit of what we heard tonight, but when routes change, yeah. how does that, uh, how are the drivers informed? How do they yeah. know, how does their pad change, you know, like their instruction? Yeah, so when they come and pick up their keys, we have attached what the route changes are, and usually we have a discussion with this, and I can actually speak to that particular route. The driver made a mistake today, and this is their third day riding this route. It's a route that's usually covered by the Canton Public Schools driver, and they made a mistake. Um, they missed the route, and they went there at the end of the, the route, not the, I think it was supposed to be the fourth stop, and they went there at the end of the route, but the student had already gotten off the bus. Um, so yes, it, it, it was a it was a mistake, and that is actually very unlike this particular driver. Um, they are a spare driver, and they, they know the community pretty well. But they did make a mistake. You know, even that's helpful to hear. I yeah. mean, we all make mistakes. Yeah, it, it happens. Mm -hmm. so. I will say Thank she's you. been a uh, she had to step in quickly. Yeah. Uh, due to the need, and uh, she had done really really well, and had worked some time, and uh, we we knew that. It had taken a, a, a different path, mm -hmm. um, but I'm confident we'll be able to get that right. She'll be able to rectify it. Yeah, I, just to comment again on that specific route too. Um, as w when you have middle school and high school students um, often are taking the bus one day, maybe not taking the bus the other day because of, of something. Um, it's that stop was added as the third stop. Um, the second uh, stop, uh, that student was not on the bus. And so as the driver begins to know different students on the bus as well, um, they can avoid uh, turning around or going a different direction to save themselves um, some time as well. And so I've personally ridden that route um, three times this year. I know that route like the back of my hand. Um, and so I understand exactly where it was missed. It's, it's not an excuse. And again, there was a mistake that was made, um, but there was, was 
pieces there. And then I, if it's okay just to speak to the timing of that route, um, the, that is picking up at the middle school um, at 2.20. It's not leaving the middle school parking lot before 2.25. Um, and that bus has been arriving between 3.05 and 3.10 um, to the Hanson School. So that route in its entirety, and it is picking up middle school kids going to the high school, um, has consistently over the last two weeks not been over an hour. Um, and for a high school student, that bus is not leaving the high school until 2.40. Um, so it, we are working on, this is what we're talking about, we have some kids that are being picked up at the middle school and are sitting for 20 minutes um, on a bus and, and we do wanna try to see if we can correct some of that. Um, but a high school student that got on that bus, that route is, is 20 minutes for a high school student. Um, and so that is uh, um, you know, where we're looking at how do we make some corrections um, and we're doing that together um, you know I'm, I'm constantly in communication although again we're making improvements and administration's time being spent on these um, is is diminishing um, you know we are seeing first student own uh, more and more of these problems over the last week and I think we will continue to make considerable improvements and again this is not over um, just because you know to your point um, just because we're getting there before the bell we still have those other um, pieces where we need to look at um, but we're we're able to narrow them down um, and I think we'll you know we'll continue to adjust as we need to that was excellent feedback and you just addressed two of the questions I had the other two questions here about um, some students that may not be riding the bus yet because of the challenges or not riding it regularly because of activities and in that being so we have instructed our drivers to to stop at every stop mm -hmm. so that in the in that situation if someone came out um, they the, the bus should be stopping there so if we we would you know invite everyone we know there were issues in the past but we would invite everyone to um, you know ride the bus we're, we're confident that we're going to be able to hit these you know service levels and the expectations not that we're not going to run into issues at times you know we are not perfect in, 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 in everything we do but I, I really feel like the the service level from where we were to where we are now um, and then the other thing I just want to reiterate I know you, you mentioned it before but please call our office we are ready to help you we have a full staff we are ready to help anyone that has any issues and then we can solve it we can look right into the system and see what happened if there's a question on a route we have all the answers um, you know we can we can resolve that so and that was my second point that you <laughs> okay, addressed sorry. and you did as well about district resources for it so it seems like there's a logical shift that's happening did you want to say something no, no, okay um, so I took a few notes thank you so much for being here and I was at the workshop and I appreciate the fact that you're here with us today um, as you heard before the community has been impacted and this is really significant that you are with us shoulder to shoulder making sure that we can make this better I want to find out when you were saying at the very beginning that if something is going on with a route and you communicate immediately to the school district and this might be a combined question how are we sharing that with the families like if we know, if you share with the, mm -hmm. the school, hey, the route is running late, behind, whatever, how are we then transmitting that information, or are we? So I don't know the okay. answer to that. I can tell you, we, you know, we reach out to the schools immediately when we know there's a, a, an issue. How that then gets transformed, you know, I'm not sure. 
Yeah, so I, this is the area where I think um, we've missed the mark, and when I say we, Canton Public Schools has missed okay. the mark in terms of communication and effectively communicating to, um, to families. That's, that's on us, that's on me and, and my department. Um, so we are aware, a lot of times though, by the time we are aware, um, it often is too late. Mm -hmm. um, so a delay that's 10 minutes, by the time um, we're putting together a message, um, and you know, if I send you a message at 11 minutes after, like it's like, well, thanks for telling me it, it already happened. So yeah. um, that's the reality of some of these. It's, it, it happens very quick, and there is a delay, and we're not able to effectively communicate. Um, we have worked on distribution lists now by route, um, and so that has helped. Okay. So in uh, many instances, we are um, sending messages. Uh, the issue is we can easily send a district-wide communication, um, but if we do that, sometimes we're sounding alarms that, you know, if this is only specific to one route, not all, you know, 19 with three tiers. Um, so that's where we've struggled, right? Do we send this message to everybody? Um, so we've gotten better in the last three weeks in terms of being able to send these messages to a specific group. Um, but uh, I think one of the things that we're hopeful for is the app that is coming. Um, and what I would really encourage parents is to um, enable those push notifications. It's, um, it, it is, uh, you know, parents will need to access the app and give permission for those notifications to come. Mm -hmm. um, but they are, will be live text messages um, that will come directly to your phone and we can send those immediately per route. Um, and so we're really looking forward to that aspect of the app and I think that will really help us improve communication. There's a down tree on York Street, bus nine is running um, five minutes behind and we can send that in the afternoon. There was a mechanical issue on bus 17. It arrived to the Hanson 15 minutes late. Um, expect your child to arrive home 15 minutes later. When we can do that, that eases the minds of, of, of parents um, and proves that we truly do know where all of our kids are and that all of our kids are safe. Not to say that we haven't, like we've always known, um, but it, if it takes four or five minutes for me to answer somebody on the phone, I understand how frustrating and aggravating that is. So th that's the aspect where I say, you know, that's Canton Public Schools that owns that communication okay. piece. First student does not have our student data. Um, they're not able um, to, to answer that. When the app comes, um, they will have the, the ability, uh, and we will as well, um, to do some push um, cell phone type notifications. Thank you, Mr. Marshall. So I have a few more things. So if, for the community, if you are not getting the updates on the changes of the route or something that we have been sending, because glitches can happen, I encourage you to reach out if you think that your route has changed as it has been mentioned before and you are not notified and we're saying that you should have been notified reach out to us so that we can troubleshoot that internally so that's my call out for the community um, I have a few other comments here so you're saying that the implementation of the app for the district view is ongoing when will that be considered live so the I would think for the district will be up and running within about two weeks okay um, and then from the, the parent app, yeah, yeah the, the parent app. I think it will be in conjunction with the district. I'm, I, I think we're going to probably, and, and we're still having conversation. We're probably going to want to pilot that um, before we roll it out to the general population. That's my recommendation, anyway, so we get okay. a feel, um, so people get a feel for it prior to rolling it out. So that's helpful. So that's best practice in the industry. Yeah. Is this a standard app? Is this the same app that is being utilized at other districts and is just yes. being used for camp? Okay, that's yes. also good. Um, I also want to find out what is success in your industry. How, when you're saying we're going to get 
we're going to get the, this right. This was one of your statements mm -hmm. today. My first question was when? When are we gonna tell the community we got it right? What is our measure for success from your perspective? From my perspective, is we're, what we're searching for, so it's a little different community to community because there's different contractual obligations. So your contractual obligation is five minutes before, but what I think getting it right is 10 minutes prior to bell time. And that the majority of our buses, I, I, I'm not gonna say 100% every day you're gonna get there 10 minutes before bell time because that's not realistic. Things happen during a route time. You know, you hit a train track for a, a couple of lights, that takes some time. So that's what I would think is 10 minutes prior to bell time. And then I really wanna, before I would say we've gotten it right, Right? I really want to make sure that we're, we've really looked and analyzed all these PM routes so we can say with confidence, you know, this is what, this is the shortest amount of time that we can put kids on the bus because no one wants to have their kids on the bus for a long period of time. Okay, so I'm going to push a little bit more. I, it's not the first week of school, it's been a few weeks of school now. When do you, what is the target date for us to be back in this room and telling the community we got it? So I think we're probably, I think our AM routes are, are, are pretty close and, and you know, we're, we're just kind of tweaking them and we're more tweaking them for, like I said, winter weather. So we're, we're pretty close away. The PM routes, I would say about two, maybe three weeks away from, and that's just efficiency standpoints. We're not saying that, you know, they couldn't have a successful ride. And I also want to be clear, the majority of our buses have, even from the start of the, the year, there were definitely buses with a lot of issues, but it wasn't all of these 19 routes. There, there are select buses that continue to have issues. It wasn't all 19 buses. So I would say right now, not that some people wouldn't run into some small issues or might not might not be happy with the length of time they're on the, on the route. I think they could use the bus today and be satisfied with the level of service that they're getting. Thank you. Can I just add an of expectation course. from the school side? So we talked about, uh, you know, Jessica talked about the morning, but from a PM side, like my expectation is that we are hitting the posted route times within one or two minutes on a consistent basis, okay. not 20 minutes. And we we have some some routes right now where we are off in the afternoon um, by that amount, um, and we need to work on how we fix that. It is it. It's not that the route is always taking that much longer. It might be that the expectation is that the bus starts at 3.30 and it's really not leaving until 3.50. Mm -hmm. So we need, you know, there's multiple tiers here, but I think that is a fair expectation of the school district is that the posted route times we are hitting within one to two minutes on a consistent basis. Not to say that there's not going to be things that happen. Um, and, um, and I would agree, you know, my hope is that a two to three week window, um, like if we're not there, um, then okay. you know, we're, we're not doing what we need to be doing. Just one last comment. Um, I think from a perception perspective, we've had these conversations before prior to you being with us and the perception was that we had a lot of the work happening on our side of the house, on our fence. It, I want the community to be aware, do we feel that this has changed? that we are working in partnership with for a student. Yes, I mean, I, I, I would be lying if I was saying that I'm, I'm not spending more time than I should be spending on transportation. That, you know, okay. there was an expectation when we made a change that there was going to be bumps. Did I expect to be climbing a mountain? No, um, but we knew that there was going to be some challenges. Um, so our whole administration team has been impacted by this. Um, our, whole, our whole staff, has been impacted by this as well as families. Um, you know, whether it's a student getting late to class um, or a principal that's dealing with 100 emails of, from upset parents, right? Um, so, uh, but it has 
drastically improved, I would say, over the last two weeks, uh, the amount of time that administration is, is spending. And we have seen an improvement on the first student side with their, they have made some changes. Um, they have, uh, you know, a brought, uh, you know, an additional staff person uh, and, and have helped us um, maintain that. Um, you know, we have a bus route right now that is our responsibility with our driver. First student has been covering that and will continue for another week to do that for us. Um, so they have stepped up to the plate. They are answering the phone. They are responding to us, um, what I would say, in a, in a very quick manner, which in the first two weeks of school, that wasn't the case. We were struggling with that two-way back-to-back communication, and I think we felt like we kind of had assumed the burden of all of these problems. Um, that is is changing for the positive. I would agree. I, I I think for the record, we have shown very strong improvement. Uh, the morning has been something that uh, we can't help but be very attentive to. It's about when you get to it. Um, this is about our students. This is about setting the stage for an appropriate day at school and learning and um, you know we've read a lot of emails and we've talked to a lot of parents be it first student or Mr. Marshall or, or Ms. McLeod and um, if you always want to get to my heart or our heart right talk about talk about the students not not timing not bus routes it's like are they getting on time do they feel prepared are they anxious and that just motivates us to to dig in a little bit deeper um, I would wholeheartedly agree that the partnership has been stronger um, and that right now we have both seen uh, remarkable improvement um, the morning has been very good even today was a real test and we give an example um, we started our phone calls I don't know seven o'clock on the, on the way in 630 right and we get word that there's electrical line issues on Washington Street so the first thing I'm thinking, I'm driving right now. How am I getting a message out to families and, and such? So one of the things that when the app launches, um, and we were talking with the, the person that did it, who sends out that message, they do recommend that first student because they're there at the dispatch and can send that message when one of us might be on the road. But all the traffic lights were going kind of wonky this morning. And 138 was really backed up. and. Washington so we you know we just wanted to see how it was and, it, and we know that I contact the JMS principal what time did the last bus leave you get a little sense of how far off we are we were only off by a few minutes then then you stand out in front of CHS and you're like okay all the buses are here 10 minutes before and C9's coming in C9 normally comes in at 755 and it comes in at 715 at 759 it's four minutes off for everything that was going on I think they handled it pretty well um, and that's having been the principal in this building things like that happen right you, you get that one bus that has a route and they get stuck um, they traverse that as an incident uh, as an example today as managing something that was beyond everyone's control and we got it done and like those numbers are right 98 percent 100 percent you know for today so that's good we've also uh, monitored traffic patterns right a lot of folks are working remotely, so Mondays and Fridays are very clear, open days. Not a lot of people on the road, um, but folks are going into the office on Tuesdays. So we had a discussion, like, have a discussion with the drivers. The layover time might have to be shortened. Get that run started because we know the pattern is happening there. The other request that was really important, as we re-engage families, to trust 
that the buses are coming in close to an approximate time as, as that's listed, make sure we stop at every stop. Even if there's not someone there, one, it builds good habit for the, for the driver and it's a show of faith. Um, so, you know, we, we've been riding buses, we take notes. If there's anything that's problematic, we'll, we'll put our own eyes on it. Um, and we've made some adjustments. The morning runs are, are getting much, much better. Um, the afternoon runs, I would agree. We have some consolidating, some tweaking, and some things that we can do to make sure ride time uh, is lessened in that. I would, uh, once again, agree with Mr. Marshall. Our measure of success is matching up with what we have posted. And let me transition to um, the app. So we're not behind at all on the app. This is what we talked about and had before all of this, we had pre-planned October as our first call. And you know the industry says, you gotta go through the bumps of starting out the year. And truly this, this does happen even with other vendors and other bus companies. The first couple of weeks are tough and have a lot of adjustments. So we had our first call, we're on track. They walk through from a district level, we get to see what's happening. What really has to happen, two things is, we don't wanna have a false start. We're probably, in all, re uh, in all reality, we're probably about a month away from a launch based on the timeline that was presented to us for a specific reason, not to delay or anything like that. It is one, to make sure we have good data going in. So we have two weeks of data. For a student has data that they're pushing out on a regular basis, and Mr. Fogel does some analysis as well. So when we get to the point when we can input actual times or when folks have hit bus stops over a two-week time frame, you start to get the flow of, of how it is. We have to make sure the the data that we put into the app is accurate, otherwise it will trigger things that could cause confusion for families. The other element that we all agreed to, they recommended it, we knew we were gonna ask for it, is we need to pilot it with you know, a small group of parents, right, and, and you know, that, that's gonna happen. We have, we have staff that are parents, and we're probably gonna ask them, just a few of them, to say, what, how's the onboarding with this? Does it make sense to get it on there? Um, you know, is it easy to read? What are the what are the elements that are happening there? That's going to be a, a small pilot group, but it's going to be between district and probably some of our staff members that are our parents as well. So I feel like we're really on the right track. Um, I think the the next wave when we have our, our next October meeting, I'm hoping to show more improvement. You know, we were here at the last meeting, and the the St. John's routes were really challenging. And I felt for those families. That went from two buses involved to being five due to some adjustments that were made, and they have been phenomenal. Folks are real happy. Folks that have, have spoken at public comment have written to us. There's been a level of success there in getting that done. And then also, you know, be it C5, we had a, a public comment about C5. We've gotten that part done. There are still issues that happen day to day. We're not ignoring that. We're not sugarcoating it. Um, but the fact of the matter is we're at the stage now where we want to do some deeper analysis and refining and get it right even at a better level for, for parents. But I really think we're in a much better place and there's a greater partnership and better systems in place between communications between our offices and the, the first student offices. Thank you. I think that's a very key piece, that we are partnered together and we certainly all want to get this right and for the, the, for the students, the families, um, all of the staff, et cetera. Um, and also want to share a thank you to Mr. Marshall, Mrs. McLeod, 
Superintendent Folan and of course all the administration and staff that's couldn't have foreseen what the beginning of their school year was necessarily going to look like, but has um, embraced it and certainly embraced, as we know, as all as parents, um, if there's any, th those frightening moments that have to do with your children, we can all, we can all put ourselves in those moments and understand what families are feeling when they don't know where the bus is or the child didn't get picked up or whatever it is. So just thank you very much for, for um, triaging in the beginning, all of that, and certainly well-deserved well, uh, heightened emotions from people too. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, just and a couple, yes, a couple Ms. Quinn. So yes. Ms. Quinn, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, quick question. I know we learned in the, the workshop that the bus depot was actually located in Randolph. Yep. Where are you folks in Randolph? 15 York Ave. So where is that in relation to Canton? Because I'm just thinking ahead as we get to into more difficult weather, how potentially could that impact getting buses actually into Canton? <laughs> you want to speak to it? It's, it's basically right behind the movie theater in Randolph. Oh, okay. Um, that's the easiest way. So past, uh, past the movie theater, I think it's, a, it's high street. You take a left on high and it's kind of back in... Um, in an industrial complex, is that? Yeah, it's really it's really close, and actually, we do run um, Blue Hills contract mm -hmm. from the same depot, so we are have buses in Canton already. And with that, so if traffic becomes an issue, whether because of weather, would on your end, would you then adjust the time that you're telling your drivers they have to leave the depot? Is that governed by a contract that you have you can't leave before a certain time or would you move up the time at which they'd be leaving the depot to get to Kansas? So if yeah so be. what so I'll tell you actually one of our systems that we have if we have anyone not arriving at their first stop mm -hmm. it actually automatically sends us a request to change their start time and so if we see any trend of oh they're not getting to their first stop until a minute or two late and I'm not talking about a one-off it actually sends us a request and we have to review it to say oh yeah we need to change this stop up because they're not getting to it so our system will actually automatically do that Great. from a from a depot perspective and I know as you're going to be looking at the afternoon route certainly part of the challenge we're hearing is you know students being on buses for an extended period of time um, when you are looking at routes and putting your routes together do you have an internal guideline around which, okay, once a kid steps on the bus, you know, we don't want that kid still there 45 minutes later. Do you have internal guidelines that will impact how you shape routes? So typically how routes are, so we use for routing, we use a, a routing software, we use Versatran. Um, and it, it is a way to make sure uh, routes are, or bus, buses are not overcrowded. It looks for efficiencies. But it's not a perfect system because it doesn't account for traffic. It doesn't account for, there's many things that it, it, it can't account for. It doesn't necessarily know if you can't go down that particular road. We have to later on set that guideline so we know, you know what, a bus really can't turn around in that cul-de-sac. It just, it's unsafe for that bus to do that. So um, we, we use that. We, we try to minimize it, um, the time. It, it's, it's one of our guidelines that we look at. Um, that not to keep a, uh, students on a bus over an hour is our, our guide, but we shoot for a lot less than that. Um, we would never schedule it, but oftentimes the scheduling versus actual is a little bit different. And so we would never schedule a bus route that is an hour. Um, it's, you know, if people are complaining about that, that they're on, you know, on the bus that long, it's usually that our routing system and what is being shown in actuality is not matching. So then we have to tweak after the fact. So that's what we kind of look at. Okay. 
And then in terms of how the, how do the buses, do, do the bus drivers ever listening like GPS system, take a left, take a right? Like how do they actually get their actual routes? They, do they have to map it out themselves? How does that actually work? So what we do is we give every bus driver the route and then they go and dry run it so they know the route. Um, they'll go and dry run it many, many times without, you know, students on it, make sure they're comfortable with the route. What happens is after you, once you, when you're new to a community, it's challenging, but once you've, you know, once you've been in the community for some time, you end up knowing these streets very, very well. Most, most of our drivers, after a little bit of time, they can look at a route and say, oh, no, we can't go down this street. Oh, we got to change it here. And so we, we learn that, and that's how we do it. Now, I will tell you, we are going to go to a tablet system in the next, I would say, 18, 24 months tops. I'm hoping for it to be a little earlier. So we'll have turn-by-turn -turn directions for a driver in there. So if for some reason we have a spare driver running that route, they'll have the turn-by-turn -turn, um, directions already in there. So that is something we're excited about. I don't know the particular launch dates on that, but that will be something really exciting too. So if a road's closed, it will also redirect them to the right route if something happens. It will push them back. And then so if a driver is going off route, we'll also know you know, how much time are they spending off route? That's not the route that we gave them. They took a wrong turn here. It kind of threw them off route. So we'll be able to identify when they're kind of moving outside of our given route. So the drivers now don't have turn by turn. They do not have they turn by turn. Okay. The other question I want to ask is around the cameras. That was certainly a, a priority of mm -hmm. the district to get cameras on the buses. Now you mentioned that, um, how does it work? So does, is it a system by which if there's an incident on the bus, the bus driver turns it in? To you folks, is it something that a parent has to call and say my kid had a problem? Take what are the protocols around? Because again, you know this this is a, a a major concern. So how what are the protocols around getting the camera footage from the bus to the district? So I will say for from 90 95 percent of it comes at district request where you know the district. Um, has identified a behavioral issue on the bus or a potential behavioral issue so they will ask for a particular tape and oftentimes we're not necessarily involved in that particular instance sometimes they will um, question a driver if they saw anything during that process um, so that's probably 95 so when we get a request oh we want to the, the morning tape for, you know, C2. Okay, we'll come and bring it over. They have a reader at the district and they'll be able to see the video um, of that particular bus. What happens from when it's driver um, initiated? If, if the driver's complaining about a behavioral issue on the bus, then that's when we'll, we could go back and kind of review that. Um, and, and then uh, it's not all about student behavior, you know. Uh, Sometimes it's about driver behavior too. It allows us to, sometimes there's conflicting information about what actually occurred on the bus. And so it allows us to go back and kind of review what happened and coach the driver if necessary, if maybe he could have handled, he or she could have handled something in a different manner. Um, so that's kind of where those stem for, but I would say 90 to 95 come at, at a district request. Or if a driver brought, you know, if there's an issue on a bus, oftentimes the driver will bring it to the attention of staff members when dropping off at the bus if there was an issue that they were concerned about. And how long are the tapes retained? I mean, intended, so, you know, so an incident happens, parent calls the school, couple, whatever, how long, um, how far back do you retain tapes? I think it's 30 days, but I'll have to get back to you to confirm that. I'm not 100% sure. I also think it's the, the um, size of the hard drive on that um, that impacts that. So I, I'll have to check with, with that to confirm that. 
Oh, thank you. I believe it's 30 days. We yeah, were, yeah we were sure. told 30 days. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 30 days. So then, so you folks aren't necessarily getting tapes every day or every week. You just get them when you request them. That's correct, yeah. Okay. And then just from a uh, discipline standpoint, we provide um, a behavioral form. It's a, a three-copy form um, that all of the bus drivers have. So uh, they can use that as a written slip to provide to the principal when they get to the school in okay. the morning um, if they need to notify the principal um, of an issue or a concern. And so all the bus drivers have those. A lot of times that is also what would initiate. Um, mm -hmm. So here's this slip, okay, and the principal at that moment can say, can you pull the hard drive? And the buses always have an additional hard drive so they can swap that out immediately and provide that to the principal. Um, okay. The reader is here at, at the Rodman um, at the district level, so the principal is not able to review that without um, you know administration. Um, but we can make sure that we're pulling that tape like immediately um, when we're notified of, of a potential concern, okay. be it student, driver, yeah. um, you know. Anything. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? Thank, Thank you, you so Thank very you. much. Okay, moving on on the agenda to item G3, the MCAS and accountability report. Mr. Fogel presenting the 2022 MCAS and accountability data. Ms. Romia, Director of Teaching and Learning, will be joining as well. <laughs> so as Mr. Fogel uh, pulls up his, his slide deck, uh, the uh, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education have made some public announcements in which they do this release. Um, you're going to hear uh, an element here where there's sort of a, a return to MCAS and some reporting and having some elements. We thought it was really important as we did last year and when we look back it was it was the same exact meeting early October uh, to present some high-level results. Uh, we have some available information that you can dive deeper uh, that Mr. Fogel will talk about. But we thought since uh, there was a public release both about MCAS results and accountability reporting, we want to make sure uh, we shared some information about that. And uh, good evening, school committee. Uh, it's my pleasure to present um, a, a global view of our MCAS performance last year and uh, an introduction to the revised and amended one year accountability uh, system. Tonight, uh, I'd like to offer um, the district's performance in MCAS a comparison against the state achievement. Uh, an introduction to the accountability percentiles and what we can do with the data now at our fingertips. One item that I felt um, was a very uh, prudent piece of context when released by the Student Assessment Office at the state level uh, was what they recognized was the impact of student attendance not only across the Commonwealth but specifically for grades 3 to 8. Uh, in the last couple of years, um, the commissioner's office had recognized that the average student missed um, 15 days of school in 2021 and 18 uh, in 2022. In Canton, our average student missed seven days of school in 2021 and 11 days in 2022. And you can see the increase of students that are measured as chronically absent. Chronically absent would be uh, missing 18 or more school days. Uh, 
Um, we, it, it, as far as last year's performance in MCAS and in attendance, we mirror the state very consistently um, throughout any uh, inspection or metric. Chronic absenteeism for, the, for our students in grades three to eight increased substantially when looking at the 2019, the pre-pandemic levels. One highlight that we were able to harvest in looking at our own data was that last year's test and stay program saved 6,500 school days for kids because of that uh, work with, with our, um, uh, our school health services. A preface to some of the items I'm going to show you, um, the summary of our MCAS achievement, again, it's very consistent um, with the state performance. We're going to vary together in nearly every subset of the population and every grade level. Our MCAS performance did show mixed results when compared with our own 2021 data. Our math scores increased and uh, a point of celebration would be our students in the grades three to eight for their math performance. Uh, English and language arts did decline, again, very consistent with the state. And science scores decreased slightly in grades three to eight, but our high school students took the next generation MCAS for the first time. So this is a, uh, a baseline setting here. For, for that population. Referring back to um, the Student Assessment Office and the Commissioner's Office context for their findings at a state level, they encouraged districts and schools to pursue pre-pandemic achievement levels moving forward. They also recognized, and Canton was not immune uh, to this finding, they recognized that in English and language arts, um, students demonstrated lower achievement in writing. Each student uh, is offered an essay or written component of the English language arts exam, and those scores were uh, lower than I think the state has anticipated, and again, most of the students across the Commonwealth did uh, have challenge with the writing performance. Our students in grades three to five, uh, again, I think demonstrated that challenge in writing. I do want to... Uh, remain mindful of the considerations for that specific subset of the testing group. It was essentially the first time they were presented with a formal, full, comprehensive MCAS exam. Grade five students the year prior took half of an exam with the amended um, structure of that exam. And grade four was brand new, grade three again brand new. There wasn't a traditional string of exams. This slide is the uh, multi-year Kent Public School uh, ELA MCAS percent of students meeting and exceeding, broken out by the two grade sections. So grades three to eight, uh, last year we had a percent of students meeting and exceeding at 52, and, and the state was at 41, but you can see the trend line across the five next generation test administrations for grades three to eight. Grade 10, again, flowing at the same rhythm as the state, only has three points on their line series because the first time that our students in the high school level took next generation was 2019. Last year, our students uh, achieved that 69% were meeting and exceeding at the high school level, and the state was 58. Here is an internal tool uh, that we've developed. This captures the growth and performance for English and language arts for each of the test takers in our district. The pie chart represents the breakdown uh, and achievement levels. Blue is exceeding, green
green is meeting expectations, yellow is partially meeting, and red is not meeting expectations. Each of these um, stamps on the dashboard are, are interactive and do that uh, cross-interactivity. So we can internally extract any piece of information by student profile, by scale score, growth percentile, grade level, and we can really analyze and get granular in our um, student level findings. If I could draw attention to the two stamps, the average ELA score and the average ELA growth. The average ELA score is the, the scaled score that uh, coincides with the category, the achievement level category. The growth percentile, that is your average student growth percentile. Those two stamps have significant weight and potency in this year's accountability uh, percentile and findings. So uh, I will revisit those in the accountability, but those two, two stamps I think are uh, very relevant, not only for our own findings and analysis, but also how it's calculated in the accountability. The scatter plot, the y-axis is the scale score for students, the x-axis is the growth percentile. Each of the dots on that scatter plot represents one of our students, and internally we can hover over that and it'll populate the student and their scale score and their growth percentile. And you can see that uh, students are performing in the blue and the green range. There's a higher concentration uh, with a stronger growth percentile. We can also disaggregate students who are on the cusp of each of the achievement levels, look at those student exams, in conjunction with perhaps what was, was disparate data, use our screening tools and our benchmark tools, and start building portfolios for those students and where they can perform successfully, where they might need a little extra uh, reteaching. Re we can now use a lot of these data points for students to help make uh, decisions and help our teacher teams plan and uh, design instruction for our students. Here's a summary of our math performance and the state achievement. Again, this is the percent of students meeting and exceeding expectations in math. You can see the grades three to eight. There's their strong rebound um, from the pandemic low, if you will. Again, it mirrors the state. The grade 10 students and the states are both still on a decline, though it has slowed in its descent from last year to this year. Once more, here's the scatter plot for our math achievement and growth. The, uh, the, the math exams, I think, offer a little bit more um, volume in its analytics. We can look at students and really disaggregate by standard, success rate on standards, item descriptions, uh, looking at the consistencies across those standards as measured again with our screeners and our benchmarks and even internal assessing tools and help our students and teacher teams really hone in on acceleration points or perhaps remediation. Pie chart again um, breaks down achievement levels. I added a science slide. I don't know if it made um, this presentation, but I can share the metrics with you. The, the uh, district science achievement uh, for grades five and eight, those are the only two testing grades within that uh, grade span. Canton had a 51% meeting and exceeding. Uh, the three-year trend, 2019, 2021, and 22, reads as follows for Canton, 57%, 53, and 51. 
So again, a small decline, but again, slowing um, from the 19 to 21 range. And the state uh, was a 42%. So last year we had 51% at three to eight, and the state had 42%. Our high school students, it's just one data point at this time. Our high school students uh, meeting an exceeding percent at 62%, and the state was 47. So good strong showing from our high school students in science. The accountability data, I, I, I would welcome an opportunity to return to the committee if, if that's the desire to really dive into the design of the formulas and the metrics and the normative components that go into this one year's uh, accountability percentile uh, design. Though, I, given that it's an MCAS presentation and this is a recent release, I did want to inform the committee of the, the findings. Though, once more, I, I will be happy to come back uh, if that's the wish and share all of the math behind this year's rating tools. State and federal law require that schools design and implement a, an accountability metric to share school and district performance. Because of COVID, the United States Department of Education invited states and schools to apply for a waiver so that schools would not have to report on accountability given the disruptions to student learnings in 2020 and 2021. So Massachusetts has not had an accounting system rendered since the fall of 2019. In December of 2021, the US Department of Ed said, okay, we invite you once more if you want to apply for an amended accountability system for the 21-22 school year, which Massachusetts applied and was granted that approval. What they had petitioned for at the state level was this amended accountability system, which we have now in front of us. This amended one-year accountability percentile rating will produce some, but not all of the previous accountability metrics and formulas. What they will produce this year is what you see in front there on those bullet points. What is not produced this year are targets, percent of schools meeting those targets, and percent of uh, achieving those targets. Those are from the old accountability system. One other thing that's not uh, renewed from that accountability system is only schools get percentile ranks, not districts. Districts previously got a whole district-wide ranking system and, and a percentile rank and a performance rating. That's not the case for this one-year amended accountability system. So with that context, uh, allow me to share this year's streams of accountability calculations. Every school is measured on their MCAS achievement and growth from those two testing years, 2019 and 2022. Those two streams contribute to about half of that rating system. And again, this is where I can come back and share all the math behind it. But every school is gonna use their MCAS achievement and growth, uh, access data from those two years, and the chronic absenteeism data from 21 and 22. Uh, if I could quickly uh, dive a little deeper into that chronic absenteeism bullet. What is access data? That is the performance of English language proficiency. Okay. Uh, chronic absenteeism data is defined as missing 10% of the school year for whatever reason. However, the commissioner's office decided to categorize chronic absenteeism as 20%, missing 20% of the school year for 2022 
only. So going back to one of our opening slides, given the impact of student attendance, the commissioner felt to be prudent to categorize students as chronically absent if you've missed 36 or more days of school. So in 2022, chronic absenteeism data is drawn from that well of students who've missed 20% or more compared with the students in 2020 who missed 10%. So those three bullet points apply to all the schools. Specific to high schools only are the advanced coursework, the graduation rate, the dropout rate, and the extended engagement rate. So when these metrics are applied to this year's formula, we are assigned percentile ranks. They rank all of the schools within your tested grade level uh, comparables, and wherever you fall on that line, you are assigned a percentile rank. And here's this year's accountability findings <coughs> via percentile ranks for our schools. Ken High School was in the 72nd percentile, GMS is in the 54th, Luce 79th, JFK 81st, and Hanson was in the 77th percentile. I, I have uh, more uh, data points just to give us uh, more perspective of how those relate in relation to uh, some comparable districts. Uh, the Galvin Middle School, uh, what I did was I looked at the middle school and the high school against schools most similar to us by total enrollment, by grade span, and by special populations enrollment. Um, and here's the, the middle school when looking at our comparable data where the green bar. And here's the high school when looking at that same comparable set of schools. This is from the state's comparables. These are who the state finds us most alike with. And I, and I can add these on the slideshow as well. Uh, but I just, I wanted to see how we did against uh, our comparables and just helps to see. Is that dark data? This is. And are you using at the district level or, or the school to school? It's only school to school for this <coughs> year. <coughs> yeah. That, can I, can um, I jump in there for a minute? I'm happy you asked that question because one of the things we traditionally do when we've looked at data is we have a, a set of around 12 schools that are area and so forth. And it, it's nice to get the, the regional feel, um, but what DESI does provide are comparables for you with the metrics um, that uh, Mr. Fogel mentioned. And we, we really want to, as we show context and how we're performing against like districts or like schools, we there's a reason they do that so that they encourage you to to, to have those elements. There's a lot of factors that goes into schools and school districts. So um, when we were talking about this, you know, just as a district, if we look at data, we have the fiscal aspects, right? There's there's uh, comparables, and then uh, student achievement. We want to move to, to the DART schools, because it gives us a better frame of like districts. So will that kind of be the, the rule of thumb going forward, we'll be using DART as opposed to, like we, Randolph, you know, yeah. Westwood, Norwood, yeah. You're going to sell. Okay. So yeah. that dark data. Right. Yeah. We, we certainly can frame anything by the will of the committee, but I think for true public understanding in our own context, <coughs> it makes sense to use those those comparable communities. Mm -hmm. um, it'll give us a stronger view of growth and achievement. So, yes, that's mm -hmm. the plan moving forward. That uh, concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any, any questions. I'm trying to figure out what we did before we had all your data and assessment <laughs> and the succinct and very clear 
uh, intentional way that you explain it all and makes it understandable to those of us who don't have your skill set. <laughs> I, I, I love doing it. <laughs> and it shows. It shows. Can I just quickly add, um, yes. in case parents are wondering, the MCAS reports re are arrived today, actually, at Central Office. Colleen called me just this afternoon about 3.30 and said, the boxes are here. So they are safely secured in Mr. Fogel's office. Uh, tomorrow we will spend the day sorting them by school building to make sure that we have everything that we were supposed to get. And then there's quite a bit of a process that happens with the admin assistants in each of the buildings where we have to get those all stuffed into envelopes and labeled and stamped and ready to mail out. So um, hopefully we'll get those mailed out next week's a short week, so I'd love to say we're going to get them out next week, but it might not be by the end of the week next week. It may be the week after. Um, but I'll be checking in with all the admin assistants tomorrow to see kind of what does the right timing look like. So we'll make sure it gets into the s'mores so parents know to be on the lookout for them as soon as they get in the mail, but they should be mailed out within the next couple weeks. Thank you. Excellent. That was my question. Thank you. Yes. Was I have like? a question, but it might be, it might not be for, for Mr. Fogel. Um, what do we do? What is our plan now that we have all this data? Wonderful that you can drill down and figure out what is the student that we need to address. Who's going to take that charge, or how do we move that forward? So I, I, I agree, I couldn't be happier to have Mr. Fogel um, this year. I think I show up in his office at least three or four times a week and say, hey, can we look at some data? <laughs> question. Um, but the principals also have access to all of the dashboards, and so they have already done um, some MCAS work with their faculty at a faculty meeting. Um, this month they will also be presenting their information to their school councils, so school councils will have an opportunity to digest the information. Um, and we're really making the, the data available in a different way for teachers than we've ever been able to do before with the dashboards that um, Mr. Fogel is able to build for us. Um, the data that we get from DESI can be very static, like it's just, it's, it is what it is and it's over, but we're really looking now to be able to link it to the benchmark and universal screener data that we're using as a district to be able to say, okay, here's what we have for MCAS, how they do on their universal screener, how they do on their IXL diagnostic, like what is the data telling us about a child and, and who <coughs> needs more attention and who needs more challenge. And so those conversations are all happening. The teachers are using this data as they write their own goals for the year. So they're meeting with the principals right now to do all of that work. And it really will be an ongoing process. Um, I think of, of really more closely being able to monitor how kids are doing along the way now that we have access to tools that can kind of take the two things and put them next to each other. Thank you. Can I ask one more, one more question? So a family that might not have access to this as a family, but the teachers or the administration is aware, what is our, how are we going to purposely use the data to target those students and who owns that? Who, who, own, who is responsible for making sure that none of our students are maybe not followed through? Yeah, yep. so I think it varies by level. So okay. we'll talk about elementary first and then we can talk about middle and high. So as you know, at the elementary level, we have Title I supports in place um, and we have math and reading specialists to support the, the students that need more help. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what happens um, across all of the grade levels at the elementary level is that they have data meetings where teachers get together with the math and literacy specialists. Oftentimes the teacher or the principal are there helping to facilitate those meetings. And then looking at the data of the students to see who did, okay, who did what on the universal screener. 
And so given the tutors that we have available, who are the kids that we want to target for this first round of tutoring? And um, all of that information was sent out last week with the STAR reports. Okay. So if your student was identified for tutoring support, hopefully you got contacted first by the teacher so you didn't get that letter in the mail and wonder what it was. Um, but those all were sent home, so parents have that information. Um, and so that's kind of an ongoing process of cycles that happen throughout the year. So this first cycle is a little bit shorter than the others. It's about five weeks. So students who are identified for tutoring will be pulled out during their win blocks for their tutoring. But in the classroom, the teacher also has access to the information, right? So she may be doing small group instruction. Kids are actually able our universal screener actually talks to Freckle. So if students are working in Freckle, we can feel confident that it is pulling in the things that the universal screener has identified that that student needs to work on, whether they're more accelerated learners or whether they're students that need some remediation but might not be going out for tutoring. So there's a lot of different things that happen during those wind blocks in each of the buildings to address that, that piece. And then at the end of the cycle, we revisit, we take another look at the data, we figure out who are the kids that are staying in tutoring, who are the kids that might need a turn, who are we gonna cycle in, and all of those conversations continue to happen across the course of okay. the school year. That's elementary. Mm -hmm. At the middle school level, it's a little bit different because they don't have the win block, they have the X block. And so, uh, actually just, was yesterday was Yeah, yesterday. Um, I printed up all of the IXL reports for families, so those are all going home in hard copy from the middle school this year. I think some teachers sent them home and others didn't last year. Um, so that is something that will be coming home so the parents have access to it. Um, so they'll have the information on how their kids did on that benchmark assessment, the, the diagnostic. Um, and so then what happens is oftentimes teachers are meeting with kids and trying to think about, hey, I want you to come see me during X block. We're going to use some of that X block time to do some work on this area. Um, students have access to IXL both in school through assignments that the teacher provides and they can independently go in and work on it as often as they want to. And so when the parents get those reports, you'll see the areas that your child is strong and you'll see the areas that your child may need to do a little bit more work. And you can have them go on as often as you want to to continue working, whether or not it's an assignment from the teacher. Mm -hmm. So, it, and it knows also what kids need to work on. So it will prompt kids like, hey, maybe you should do some fraction work, right? And so that piece, I think on the math side, is working really well. Okay. Um, there's also opportunities after school for tutoring and supports to happen. So on the days of the late bus, there's often clubs and, and after school opportunities for kids to stay to get extra help. Um, at the high school, it's a little different. We're targeting our benchmark assessments on 9th and 10th grade, really, because those are the grades where we really want to have close eye on data to make sure that we're monitoring kids prior to them having to take their MCATs in their sophomore year. Um, and so that is happening as well. They have a, a support at the high school called Connections, and that happens in the library after school. So kids can get identified for support there as well. So teachers will have conversations with students like, I really think you should stay. We can help you work on your homework. We can help re revisit this concept. Mm -hmm. But they also have the access on, in math on, to IXL to continue that additional work. Um, so it's kind of a work in progress at the higher levels. I think it's really important part of the process to engage students in the conversation of understanding who they are as learners and how they're doing so that they can make those smart choices about, I really want to work on this and get better. Um, it, it's harder once they hit adolescence to like force them into it. You really need to try to engage them in just understanding really what their learning needs are and how they advocate for themselves. Thank you so much. Are you saying it's harder to work with the teenagers? <laughs> Is there a challenge around eighth grade, maybe? A little harder to make them sit down at the kitchen table and do their homework at times, yes. <laughs>
Just to clarify from before, um, when you spoke about the MCAS data, you received, the district received the macro level MCAS data before, right? But not the individual, am I correct in that? So we have had all of the data yeah. um, on how students did. Okay. But it's embargoed and we're not supposed to talk right. about it, right? There's often times where you use a discrepancy and we're asking Desi to investigate to see if there was something wrong with this student's score and all of those kind of things happen. Um, it's the accountability piece that we didn't get until very recently. Okay. So although we knew how individual kids did, we didn't know how our schools did and how we, our schools did in relation to other schools until, until very recently. Um, but the actual parent reports that are printed came today. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to clarify for anyone that was listening that didn't have the report yet, but you were talking about the data. Okay. Well, Excellent. and the thing is that uh, Desi has it published also at the macro level. So you can go into and look at the Canton district by grade um, as well as by demographic and it disaggregates a lot of the information for you and that's all available right now. The website was updated last Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I have a couple of questions and I, I see this. So I did actually do what Ms. Gallagher said. I went to the Jesse website and pulled it up uh, by grade. And um, a couple of, the, so I get to remember that the grade the students are currently in the next grade up, obviously, because this test happened back in the springtime. Um, in looking at the grade by grade, uh, the different percentages of meeting, exceeding, partially meeting, and not meeting, um, there are a few that really jump out at me. Some of the not meeting percentiles, the percentages when they hit double digits, that really concerns me. And in particular, I'm looking at what it would now be our current year's freshmen, because we also learned recently that they are going to have higher MCAS scores that they have to meet. So, you know, the average scaled score for these kids, um, 500, 495, so that exceeds the 486 that they have to meet next year, but that's the average scaled score. So my concern is the students who are not in, you know, whatever they're scoring, they're not in So when we talk about, you know, how do we reach these kids, how do we reach these kids? Um, I know you talked about connections, but I'm thinking, you know, who are the kids that are going to actually utilize that? And so I, I think in terms of really looking at this, we can see, I can see some spots where, again, I have great concern about where the kids are at and, and not doing as well as obviously we hope. Um, so to make sure that students are getting what they need, you know, for example, you know, Desi will talk about acceleration academies. Has Canton considered an acceleration academy over the April or February vacation? That intensive learning period. I mean, money is available. So, what are the really concrete steps that you know? Rather than it sounds like kids will be targeted based on an individual basis, but how do we make sure we're getting everybody? So, I, I think we have considered all of those those particular options. Um, I know that Mr. Sperling will be returning back mm -hmm. as we as we talked about. Uh, it's the one thing that I wanted him to talk about with Mr. Fogel was that bump up in grades. I said the next time we come back in front of the school committee, we're going to have a plan, mm -hmm. right, as far as what that's going to happen. So um, I don't have specifics to sure. share right but now. But you will be coming back, though. Yes, okay, we great. will. Yeah, yeah because it, there's, there's multi-layers to it. There's programming. There's individual attention. Mm -hmm. There's requirements to talk about, just the path mm -hmm. to make sure that they are progressing. Um, there's some outside the box thinking and how do we um, engage e either staff creatively 
or as I was talking with Mr. Mulhern today, you know, using eighth graders to, to pair and match with, with sixth graders and uh, engage that. We have honor societies here at the, at the high school, uh, math and English honor societies, and the major charge of those groups is to do peer tutoring. Um, so there's a number of different ways that I think we have to do this. I think most districts are facing with this data, and the commissioner has said it, Everyone saw a very consistent gap between where you were, where you are now, mm -hmm. and where two, 2019 was. And your charge is to develop, you know, systems and experiences. The best thing I would always say that we can do, uh, though, is the core of improvement is the strongest instructional practices that we can have, and informed instructional practices. And that's where you know, uh, Mr. Fogel, uh, our, our teaching and learning team, Ms. Moody, Ms. Uh, Shannon, the professional learning. Folks, there has, if you look at our district goals, they are designed to maximize the class time um, and have very targeted interventions. Our folks, because of Mr. Fogel, he, he's probably not really talking about how much outreach he has had yet, but you know who owns it. There's the principal level, but he has already met with grade level groups, and there are individual teachers that have asked for that. So that is makes an incredible difference. Um, there's, with Ms. Byrne, we've had real close attention to student services mm -hmm. and how they parallel with curriculum and, and what uh, sort of support happens there. Uh, because as you, as you can drill down a little bit, um, you'll see the folks that are not meeting expectation, well, we know who those students are and then you can extrapolate what they need. And it's not just a feeling like we want you to do better. Mm -hmm. What we're able to see is that the actual questions in which they did well on and where they were lagging and where there are certain standards or particular skills. The writing skills across the board, across the state, we were on the, the DESI webinar. They could not talk about that enough, about how um, surprising and, and relevant that was, uh, that that particular skill needs close personal attention, in-person and, and consistent attention. Uh, so yeah, we're considering everything, I think, uh, but the one thing that I always go back to is the instruction that happens during the classroom time is the most paramount. And I go think it, I don't I don't want to sound like we're making excuses, but it's really important to keep in mind the attendance data that Mr. Fogel shared yep. at the beginning of his presentation. Mm -hmm. Last year was a year where we were still doing that whole thing about like close contacts, right? So if you were a close yeah. contact, you might be a student that was absent multiple times because you were a close contact and or you had eventually got COVID and then you might be a close contact again and then you might be a close contact again. And the same thing was happening for teachers, right? So we saw high numbers of teacher absences because they were in the same place, right? Um, and so I think the amount of instructional time that was impacted by that, we did, a, we did a great job, I think, trying to cover classes and making sure we had kept the learning going, but it was just different. It was different. I will say that the disconnect for me, though, is, is when I look at these accountability percentiles, they all cluster around about the high 70s, low 80s. But the middle school is at 54. I mean, that's just such a significant outlier. Um, I think it was pre-COVID as well. I, I think that, that that my recollection from back in the 18th, 19th, when we were looking at data pre-COVID, that the middle school was lower. It's important to keep in mind that the, the, the bar is, is set differently at the high school, and we're going to see some transition for in the next couple of years. That's why those freshmen are going to have a different standard, right? Mm -hmm. So the cut score for passing MCAS in 10th grade is different than it is for grades 3 through 8, right? So the test is getting harder, 
and then the bar lowers a little bit in high school to make sure that students are able to get their high school diploma. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to see some changes happening in that over the next couple years, and we need to keep an eye on it. But absolutely don't disagree that we need to take a look at what's going on and help boost the performance of the students in that school. It's also a factor that the, the middle school is being compared by DESI standards to other middle schools that are grades 6 through 8. Right? So they're not being compared to K-8 schools, or if you're in a 5-8 configuration, that's a little different. If you're in a 7-12 or a 6-12, those are not necessarily the schools that we're being compared to. We're being compared to a different kind of cohort of schools. But if we're being compared to 6-8, we're being compared to 6-8. We're being compared to 6-8. Then that's an apples to apples. Depends on the communities. Yeah. But, but it's so, a smaller group. So I would say yes, mm -hmm. just straight yes. And it needs to improve. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then there's, we had to, when we had to find some comparables, we, they only will, we had to find the schools that were apples to apples. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the identification of an area where we need to improve it being GMS is, is true. So what, I'm sorry, what is your expectation of when you can return with a, a timeline and a plan for um, how to, Remediate some of these situations. Yeah, well, I, I think it. I think we've done it already with what we've um, what we've done with regard to establishing our district goals. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, my goal being around math, but November is when we had okay. targeted the time to return. Okay. Yep. We'll also have school improvement plans at our next yep, meeting. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Move ahead to item G4, MSBA update. Superintendent Poland will provide that update for us. Yeah, absolutely. So really good news on this front. Um, I will keep it short because I know we have a lot of items still. Uh, we received word recently that we have fulfilled uh, all the commitments uh, and deliverables from the uh, invitation stage, which was originally 270 days. Uh, they were impressed that we, we met all their expectations. Uh, they were particularly impressed with some of Mr. Marshall's uh, work around enrollment uh, and then also some capital forecasting for the district and needs. Uh, but in particular, a big thank you to the town because when uh, the funding allocation was voted in at town meeting for the feasibility study, that's a big lever that they look for. So we received the good word that Canton is uh, in position uh, to go in front of the, the board of directors for the MSBA on October 26th uh, for a review of our documents and for consideration into moving into the feasibility stage. So if that vote happens, um, there <coughs> we then move into a situation where we uh, get a project manager uh, and we start, a lot of folks are curious around, is it a five to eight, is it a six to eight building, is it a renovation, is it a full new build uh, for Gallup Middle School? That's the whole purpose of the feasibility uh, stage. Um, and they take, that's also when there's a lot of community input uh, and all of that is considered, and then a formal recommendation is made in the process. But our news that we're happy to report is that on October 26th, we're going to be in front of that board 
uh, for consideration going into the feasibility stage. Mr. Marshall, do you want to add anything? No, I think we've covered it. Okay, great. So and that's that's just the good news. <laughs> Very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. You're Any welcome. questions? Moving right along to G5, Q4 financial report from Mr. Marshall for a vote of approval. Thank you. Um, so uh, back to last year and just kind of um, looking at our uh, financial performance um, through FY22. So I provided um, a report uh, that I think most of you have already saw, but our last year operating budget started um, just over 47 million. Um, we then, uh, add in um, any carryover encumbrances from FY21. Um, there was an additional $500,000 appropriation from the town um, following COVID to help rebuild our um, revolving accounts that took a revenue impact um, where we weren't charging fees or programs were not running during COVID. So that was the reason for that additional $500,000 appropriation. And then um, we did have an uh, additional uh, insurance revenue of $245,000, um, which was due to the Galvin uh, Middle School flood. Um, so that was uh, a payment received from insurance. So that was added to um, our total uh, school operating budget for FY22. Uh, making a total uh, budget of just over uh, 51 um, five uh, million so our total uh, expenditures through June 30th were um, 51 million five hundred and four thousand and two dollars that left a remaining balance of fifty three thousand six hundred and fifty four dollars which was uh, returned um, to the town um, our Operating budget spending um, is comp comprised of uh, salaries that was totaling uh, nearly $42 uh, million and then expenses of just under $10 million. Um, our salary expenses make up 81% um, of our total uh, spending. And then the combined total of salaries, out-of-district tuitions, transportation, and utilities of um, 40, just over $48 million, uh, makes up 94 percent of our operating budget. I provided a chart um, that shows the percentage of total spending. I think it is just important to see, again, 81% salaries, 2% utilities, 1% uh, spent on professional development, 7% on out-of-district tuition, 4% on transportation, 3% on uh, purchase of services, and then 2% on um, supplies. So. Uh, that's really just operating budget. Uh, when we take into consideration other um, uh, spending, uh, we see a total spending in FY22 of uh, $57 million. This excludes capital, um, and I've also excluded any COVID um, grants and revenue that we've received just so that we can compare back um, kind of apples to apples um, and exclude, exclude any additional COVID spending. Um, so that was a 3.1% um, increase over <coughs> FY21 of total spending. Uh, when we include operating budget, uh, circuit breaker, revolving accounts, um, the special education reserve account, and grants. Uh, many of our grants carry from year to year, um, so that is why that is a projected amount, um, because in some cases, we do go back and make adjustments um, to grant spending from, uh, from a prior year. Um, special education, uh, you know, accounts for a large portion of our spending. Um, we 
Uh, tuition and transportation expenses for FY22 for special education uh, were 7.7 .7 million. Um, tuitions and transportation expenses are expected to increase um, to over $8 million in FY23. We are seeing considerable increases in transportation, special education transportation. We've seen upwards of a 20% increases in some cases um, for white van transportation. Um, a lot of that due to inflation um, and due to rising fuel costs that we saw um, through the spring. Um, but we're starting to see some of those expenses start to level out um, where we can continue in special education transportation to see um, areas of shortages for drivers um, and for vehicles um, you know it was uh, very difficult for some companies um, to kind of uh, revamp their fleet um, purchasing vehicles, what we're hearing in some cases, eight to 12 months um, in, in uh, delays for vehicles. Um, we've seen a change in um, how vehicles are being purchased where you can no longer just kind of show up to a, a car dealer and, and, and drive away with a vehicle um, where there's a, a pre-order system um, for some of these vehicles, especially fleet, uh, you know, particularly fleet type of vehicles. So uh, we are feeling those um, delays. Uh, we've talked a lot about yellow bus transportation, but our special education transportation has seen um, its fair share of challenges this year as well. And so we're working through those, um, you know, with a, a variety of vendors. Um, we do, even with these increases, uh, I am confident that we will be able to continue to fund uh, you know, our increase in special education costs over the next few years. Um, that is in large part due to um, being able to carry over circuit breaker um, funds from one year to the next, uh, and also our special education reserve fund um, from the town, which I believe is right now at $960,000. Um, so we will be looking likely to, to um, to take a big portion of that next year, um, but it is helpful for that to be there. Uh, tuition, again, uh, we have it projected at a 3% increase. Um, there's, there's you know, always students that are coming and leaving the district, um, so it's not always just an easy, you know, just because transportation was 20%, if we have more students taking transportation or less students, um, that all factors into that, um, that change. Our special education grant, uh, one of our largest grants, um, in FY22 helped us offset uh, tuition, out-of-district uh, tuition of $812,000, and then we had some additional um, funding uh, that was used for some specific professional development uh, for our special education departments. Last year was the first year that we saw um, some transportation reimbursement um, as part of Circuit Breaker, and we continue to expect to see that, and uh, likely that will increase as well um, in, in the future years. Again, we talked about special education reserve funds, um, a, a, a balance of uh, $960,000 um, at the beginning of FY23. Um, actually have an additional appropriation of 250 that we expect for a $1.2 million um, balance in the special education reserve fund. At this point, I am expecting to need to um, offset 600,000 of that. So um, it'll take about half of that um, fund uh, for FY23. Talked about revolving funds. Um, grants, uh, last year we had approximately one point, um, 
uh, $6 million in state and federal grants, and uh, we started spending our ESSER three funds, which was $929,000. Um, those funds are available for us to use through FY24, and I will be able to um, provide an update at an upcoming meeting as to where we are with the spending of ESSER three um, and what our plans are for the future as we, um, as we get through those um, grants. So included um, as attachments, there's an operating budget summary and forecast that you'll see. Um, you'll see our projection for FY23 um, up against our uh, FY21 and 22 actuals. Um, and then we have also provided um, a breakdown of our special education um, expenses uh, and where we expect to be um, for next year and where those offsets um, will be coming from, uh, you know, what my projections are for Circuit Breaker um, and uh, our special education reserve account and then what will come out of our, um, our special education 240 grant. Also included is the balances of our revolving accounts. Um, so again, we see, um, you know, we're, we're seeing those balances kind of rebound as we are beginning to charge fees again. And we hope to, um, you know, to continue to build them and not need to, um, you know, kind of tap any of those revolving accounts to offset operating expenses. But in some cases, transportation, athletics specifically, um, we always have offsets. Uh, preschool tuition, we always use offsets for some preschool staffing. Um, and then our uh, building rental um, and field rental accounts, we typically offset for a variety of different projects that happen um, around our buildings uh, throughout the year. And then I've also provided um, the line-by-line -line detail um, that you'll see that uh, accounts for all of our total spending. There is that encumbrance a, a amount as well, and so those are the encumbrances that are moving forward into FY23. A large portion of them are salaries, um, and so our, uh, our Unit A staff um, that elect to get paid over 26 pay periods, um, we encumber those funds in FY22, and they get paid out through the summer of FY23. Um, so those are funds that come from 22. So that's a large portion when we talk about that encumbrance carryover. Um, most of them are not supplies or um, services. Uh, that encumbrance carry forward is mostly in salaries. Uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much. Any questions from the committee? I have one question uh, related to the increase in transportation for special ed. Is it because everything that you mentioned, but do we also have a higher demand for it? Do we need to transport more students? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, we it, it fluctuates, um, but it wasn't a large increase in demand. It's a, a more of a, an increase. Structure like this, the car, the fuel, the Correct. drivers. Thank yep, you. and um, and we're, yeah. as our, so we have typically used um, van pool uh, for our out of district uh, transportation and then um, two companies um, uh, YCN and RAS for um, in district uh, transportation we have normally between those three companies they have been able to help support us with all of our needs um, this year it's becoming more and more difficult for them to continue to support all of the needs that we have and so we have been looking to other um, what I would consider owner operator um, companies um, where you know you have uh, you know just kind of an owner that's driving a van um, these are all vans that are um, you know registered um, through the registry they are school buses um, and, and we're doing you know our due diligence to make sure that we're doing background checks and, and all of that on these drivers uh, but it adds to our vendor list um, 
it's one more person to contact. Uh, and so that you know has put some additional um, work on both our, our student services department and our transportation department. Just a quick thing. On the lost books, I see we're including Chromebooks on, in that line. Is that if folks lost used insurance? How, what, what, how, how is our Chromebook inventory looking in terms of loss, damage, et cetera? Yes, yeah, so um, there's some specific requirements about what revolving accounts okay. we can have from DESE. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the reason that you see Chromebooks here is last year we instituted kind of an um, internal insurance mm -hmm. policy. Right. Um, and so the revenue that is received from um, parents or families that are opting in, that revenue goes here. And then expenses for, so this is not necessarily for the purchase of, but it would be a replacement yep. or for a repair cost. And um, expenses are hitting the operating account, and then we will, um, you know, do an offset at the end of the year if necessary. Uh, but that was the first year, and that was uh, kind of Desi's. Um, that was the revolving account that they suggested. As we're, it seems diff much different than a textbook, but in reality, uh, we're utilizing um, our technology now in a lot of ways, as uh, the way a textbook would have been lost and right. paid for in the past. Sure. I know our school lunch, I think that's something we've discussed a lot in terms of um, self-supporting, should we add more money to it? Mm -hmm. So uh, I, we can come back to this at another time, but right now there's a projected balance of 684? That is correct. So I believe that this is the healthiest that mm -hmm. this balance has been in um, in a long time. Uh, Martha and I have met to, to talk about this. Okay. Um, you know, how do we put this back, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the center of the plate, yeah. and how do we potentially put it back into um, staffing mm -hmm. to help um, improve, uh, you know, not even the, the quality of the food, but mm -hmm. our level of service. Mm -hmm. um, we have to be cautious, though, that you know these are not potentially forever funds. Right. Um, we have to build it so it's a sustainable um, kind of program moving forward. But we are looking at how do we utilize um, these funds specific for the food service program um, to make some, some improvements. Great. My final question is on the line-by-line line breakout. I know this, this particular budget format was one that you had, had inherited. And so, for example, if I look at some of these numbers, they haven't changed. There's, you know, year-to-date expended is obviously much higher than the appropriated. How, when you do your budget, how is this going to look different? Um, so it's so the budget is already done. Mm -hmm. um, we have made some improvements, but it'll take time. So sure. you're still going to see um, lines that mm -hmm. we're overspending um, okay. in in all categories. Mm -hmm. um, what what you will see different in the line item budget that I will provide in my quarter one report mm -hmm. is you're going to you're going to see that you're going to see the percentage difference, um, and so you'll you'll be able to see it. We're looking at it as well. Okay. Um, historically, the town. Um, has uh, expected us really to manage to the bottom line. And, um, and so they, there's some freedom for us to overspend in an account mm -hmm. as long as we're making up for it in a, in a different place. Mm -hmm. um, what I have suggested and that we did not do specifically this year, but moving forward is um, you know having a line um, that specifically states that this is for um, you know, a, a bucket uh, mm -hmm. to account for overages that might not have okay. been anticipated mm -hmm. and we'll continue to work on that and then we'll continue to make progress as the years continue mm -hmm. in terms of getting those numbers um, right in terms of actual spending yeah. uh, professional development specifically most of our salary lines are are 
are well in line. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's supplies and how we're spending um, across. Uh, for example, we added two second grade classrooms mm -hmm. this year. Um, those. We accounted for the staffing. Um, we don't account well for the need to purchase some new chairs, um, a new teacher desk, uh, the costs that are associated with moving a classroom from one room to another. And so I think we'll make improvements over that, but that's often the reasons that you see the overages sure. in spending. So your first quarter budget for FY23 will have it will be much more closer to reality, if you will. And yes, and, okay. um, and you'll be able to see uh, the percentage um, spent, and you'll be able to see that you know, in some cases, like we've already ex we've already spent over 100 percent of our okay. budget. Great, not great that you spent it, but great that we be able to see it. <laughs> Even on the school committee lines, <laughs> um, like you know, school committee advertising, for example, yes. costs continue to rise, um, and and you know, we haven't accounted for that uh, well through the budgeting process. Well, to that point, school substitute salary. Um. Yeah, so uh, there is a reason that that is there, and okay. um, I don't exactly okay. know what it is, uh, but <laughs> it is actually related to school committee. Okay, okay. all right. Never made sense to me. I know. I thought maybe I was getting paid for tonight as a <laughs> substitute or something. Okay. No. <laughs> no, no change there. Okay. Um, any other questions? No. Okay. Do I hear a motion for... Um, the quarter four financial report approval. So moved. All in favor? Aye. Aye. It's four zero. Thank you very much. And then moving on to G6, the GMS CHS fees for a vote. Mr. Marshall presenting the student activity fees. Thank you. Um, so we are asking for your approval. This is. Um, kind of standard practice that school committee would approve annually uh, fees. Um, this structure and layout is no different um, than what was presented last year. Uh, this does uh, lay out um, the athletic fees, uh, the extracurricular club and activity fees for both uh, CHS and GMS. Uh, so there's a $70 fee um, for extracurriculars and clubs. And then there's an additional um, $75 fee uh, for performing arts. Um, this is one time for um, as many of those programs in each one of those categories as a student might be um, attending. Um, the technology device that we were just talking about that's going into that textbook revolving account um, piece is here. And then transportation fees are here. So um, happy to answer any questions, but uh, looking for a vote of approval for these fees. So this document captures all our fees, our student-related fees in one document, that in is, one fee schedule. That is correct. Excellent. Because mm -hmm. before it was fragmented, it was. correct? It was. It was. Yeah. Uh, you know. So we did put this together, and I will just state, um, you know, financial assistance and waivers are always um, available. Yes. Um, so if uh, for any reason a family is unable um, to pay a fee uh, that is listed here, um, please reach out, whether it's to myself um, or any, uh, you know, department head um, regarding um, a specific fee, and we will do everything we can to work with you um, to make sure all students can participate regardless of, um, regardless of a fee. Yes, very important. Excellent. Any questions? I have one. Mm -hmm. um, and I had reached out um, via email um, 
And it makes sense the way that this is structured with one exception. So I was hoping you might be able to just share a little more background on why extracurricular jazz pops is not an extracurricular activity, it's performing arts activity. So I think that's, um, that was really, that was the one just even in the name. <laughs> makes sense to me that it should be part of the club fees because it's literally an extracurricular activity. Yeah, I, you know, I believe it just, I think it fell under the performing arts. I didn't right. create these fees. Um, I know that you know Catherine Eckersley, um, you know, went through this in great detail as well as um, Mr. Mulhern and Mr. Sperling, and they were, you know, okay with the the layout. But I can certainly take that feedback, you know, back, and we can, you know, make adjustments if um, if anyone feels that 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 is necessary. Uh, I was really just looking for more information. Yeah. Um, it sounds like all of the people who do the real work. <laughs> are comfortable with where it landed. Um, it's just something that always caught in my head, so. Yeah. I didn't know the pops work closely with the performing arts right. department, yeah. and that's probably yeah. why. And the, the goal really is not, is to try and capture it by having a one-time fee. Um, you, know, you try to hit folks that are involved in performing arts, so it's not added on. So if it were to be an extracurricular they might get hit with another fee, um, per se. So, you know, it's just, uh, I think it's just trying to group everything by, yeah, you know, it's the category. Closer, right. like more closely aligned with the other items in this right. category, which uh, a student might be participating in, um, as opposed to the other extracurricular. So that's actually the reason that I struggled with this a little bit, because a student should be part of unified sports and part of performing arts. Like we should want kids who are in mock trial to also be participating in music. Mm -hmm. And by splitting them, you know, it's I, I, my fear, my um, hesitation is around not having kids participate in everything. Realistically, it's, uh, I mean, I think that the fees are well managed, mm -hmm. uh, but if there's an opportunity to look in the future so that kids just participate and it doesn't matter what they participate mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. I think that would be more equitable. The one caveat being, are they having to pay for people to be there to run the stage? Because then it starts to make sense why there's an additional fee, right? The way that there is a facility fee for some of the sports. So sure. we can look at it in a future year. This is not. Um, not critical for the current state. Sounds like we're in good shape for right now. Yeah. Just a question on philosophy as you look to start restructuring things. Definitely. Any questions? Any others? Okay. Uh, do I hear a motion for a uh, vote of approval for the GMS CHS fees for the 2022-2023 school year? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. It's four zero. All right, on to G7, superintendent goals and action steps, where Superintendent Fullen will share his goals and action steps in their alignment with the superintendent's standards rubrics. Thank you so much. So just a quick return to these. I appreciate the committee voting them in last time. Uh, just to restate, there's a student achievement goal, uh, and it's as stated during the 2022-23 school year, Camp Public Schools will increase the percent of students scoring in the MCAS math meeting or exceeding achievement range by 5%. Uh, 2022 was 54.5 uh, versus 
which was 65%. So it speaks to the data that we saw earlier tonight that uh, districts, including ours, need to regain a particular level. Um, we would love to do it in one big chump, but uh, you know, with, with the help of looking at different patterns that we're seeing, a 5% gain uh, would put us in a big step to getting back, put it around the 60% level, and then we have to continue to make gains uh, to get back to 65%. Math has been a, a real focus in the district with the new curriculum. Um, it's also an area, it, it's nice that we had an uptick in some slightly higher uh, scores, but overall it's, it's still a target area where we need to show improvement across all particular levels uh, in the district. So this was um, an area that meshed nicely with the district goals, but also the data was driving this particular goal, which is what you want to do when you look at a student achievement goal. Where are you lagging and what's a reasonable specific goal to, to get there? What you also wanted to do is mesh well with some of the other initiatives that are happening in the district. Uh, so it gets the action steps and the attention that it needs. So what was added uh, from last uh, meeting was just the standards uh, according to the superintendent rubric, um, which is available on the DESI website. So standard one, instructional leadership indicator E, uh, data informed decision making. Uh, and then what's attached to this as well is uh, indicator C, which is assessment. As I read the language for both of them, uh, they really aligned with the work that we're doing with building capacity in our district to use data effectively, to have high expectations and differentiate uh, the instruction that's needed for each student to identify standards uh, you know and to use assessment data be it standardized data or formative data or screening data effectively within collaborative um, educator groups so both um, you know I remember closely from my evaluation you know high standards and high expectations was a want and desire and I saw those words embedded in these particular areas uh, and that I made that connection as well uh, so I thought these were the two uh, standards and, and indicators in particular uh, that matched well uh, in getting the how to make this happen for the goal uh, for that to see action steps I mean the quickest way to say it is much of this work is embedded in our curriculum implementation our attention to instruction in our data uh, capacity review uh, so those are, are really within our district goals, but one is to oversee action steps that are embedded in the district goal for data analysis of student performance to ensure that they're happening. Uh, one part is constructing the district goals, but as Ms. Rooney um, appropriately said, they are flowing down uh, into the school improvement plans, uh, and there will be specific goals as well around student achievement based on data. Um, there's that through line that happens, and if it works well, it goes from the school improvement plan into the educator plans. And this is an area where I think we've shown great improvement uh, within the district as far as the goals, driving school improvement plans, driving educator plans, to having it uh, be in practice on an everyday basis in classrooms. So we want to conduct quarterly checks of K-12 math curriculum implement implementation process and report out on learning and impact on students, staff, and families. So I think we know that implementing a new curriculum and also having an achievement goal that rises is a, is a big lift, but one that we're willing to do. Um, one thing in, in designing this and working um, with Ms. Miranda is they said, I want to 
I want to have our math curriculum updates come on a regular basis uh, because it's important. It's, it's resources, it's instruction, it's family engagement, and it's achievement and levels of impact that's happening. So um, having that be a reporting mechanism on a regular basis, having close attention is the desire. It's really support principles and using data to drive col uh, collaborative discussions, differentiate instruction and supports, and target designated standards for growth. Um, I think they've done a great job. Uh, Mr. Fogel has opened our eyes and he's had a lot of frank conversations. Uh, what we saw tonight was a high, high level overview. I would encourage the public that we also make a slide deck that has 80 slides in it and disaggregates um, a great deal of data. But for presentations, it makes sense to give the high level overview. He also made a, a video screencastify in which he walks, walks uh, families through it as well. So those are the things that are gonna be made public and accessible. Uh, and obviously wherever your children are um, on that range of information, you can access that slide deck and see some things in particular. Realize that what teachers have is very much more student specific. Um, and he has built dashboards for them to really dig into particular standards, uh, look at um, selected groups. Uh, there's a number of different things that in a short amount of time, uh, I'm very confident that our, our growth in around using data has been increased exponentially uh, and is very much more on the mind of our, our students. So um, still more to come with it. I think there's uh, been close attention to our monitoring data, informative data quarterly to assess progress and growth and learning. Um, and the other part too is engaging families and students with webinars and in-person sessions to review the implementation of the math curriculum. Um, this is not something I would necessarily ask staff to do, but it's something that I want to I want to do. I want to do check-ins with it, um, but it's also happening with principals and uh, I think very targeted opportunities. There's a lot of uh, parental engagement opportunities with the new curriculum, and we want to make sure that's happening from the teaching level and at the building level. Uh, but there are check-in opportunities to say. Um, is it understood from the, can you support your child? Is there some, sometimes when you do that, is there anything that you're curious about? Uh, because when it all plays out, you know, when I went to a workshop this week and they, they really talked about moving achievement, um, and sometimes in cases when there hasn't been, and it's about how parents can play a key role in developing good habits and skill levels um, in supporting their children and to do that at a high level you have to know what's going on and um, you know make sense of it math learning math in particular has changed a great deal mm -hmm. since we went through school um, so obviously the the outcome of this is to get these actionable items done and to see sort of the progress that's happening the output and the final impact uh, will be known you know something over the summer um, in this achievement level so it's a tough timing wise for consideration you want to have achievement goals like this that are based on data and have a specific target the release at least publicly comes in now uh, but that will be one marker right there the next one district improvement goal so the district improvement goal um, you've seen our district goals they I'm really accountable for all of those, um, but this is also an opportunity for something very specific um, from the superintendent's office. And, and one aspect that we on the central office team has, we really have realized is that 
we need to take a hard look at our organizational structure, um, where we're allocating uh, positions, uh, what's the best way to optimize folks, and in particular, look at human resources and develop a plan for restructuring and improvement. Uh, so I look forward to doing that. Uh, there's a number of folks in this room that are looking forward to talking to me about restructuring, and uh, we also know human resources is a uh, area where we need to improve, and it's being covered by a number of, number of folks. I, I do a lot, in particular, of the human resources in conjunction with Jody Middleton and Kim Early. But it's a, it's a key part of our, of our organization. Um, so that's the goal. Where it comes in is the management and operations standard uh, in human resources management and development. I wouldn't just center it just on those particular pieces. There are, it's about using all of, all of the uh, positions in particular folks in these roles in maximizing our organizational structure for greater efficiency and optimizing it um, to make sure that uh, everyone gets what they need. We're using best practices and fulfilling strategic planning. So that's been a, a big part of it. Uh, one aspect here I, I put is that there needs to be preliminary organizational plans that run parallel to the budgeting process because there may be funding asks associated with it. We always try to do things budget neutral and reorganize that way, but there also might be an ask uh, for particular positions. And obviously we have some in a year in, and going through the report of findings from last year, we have some ideas of what that may be. So we're looking forward to making that presentation. Um, there are re human resources activities that need to be uh, completed in the short term, and then there needs to be long-term goals as well. So part of the plan will be to share how we can uh, do some of those tasks that need to happen that can move us, uh, and then have a long-term sustainable uh, structure that is better for that. I think the final part is I would look forward to, I know there's a couple of times where I present progress uh, according to my evaluation. One would be at the end um, in the summative portion is to finalize and implement the restructuring recommendations for the school year 23-24. Um, obviously we have some things in mind, but uh, there are, and we believe there are, there are some moves that we can make that really can make us a stronger district. So I look forward to presenting that. The last one, as I talked about last week, is uh, the engagement of the new superintendent induction program in year two. It's really focused on uh, implementing a strategic plan and engaging the community uh, and making sure that your mission, uh, vision, and values are up to date and that you have long-term planning. Um, so as you know, I think I've, I've said uh, publicly that we did a short-term uh, planning stint with the help uh, of some strategic planners over the summer for our one-year goals. Once the equity audit is done, we do some NIAS work and we also get uh, into the school year. We're re-engaging in December and January with those same strategic planners with a larger view of community engagement, a look at our mission, vision, core values, a look at our five-year plans um, and actionable items that happen there. So. It's something that we want to do for the district, but it's also something I have to do for class as well. Um, and the other, the other uh, standard that hits is professional culture on my own end to have some continuous learning happening. So one is year two looks a little differently. There's classes and there's coaching sessions with two or three other superintendents. Um, we're also participating. This was phenomenal. It's something that... Um, both DESE and MASS, the Massachusetts Association of School Superintendents, uh, put together. They did their own equity audit, and 
the work that happened was they developed four workshops in a framework called the Ready uh, Framework, and it's race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Uh, myself and uh, Assistant Superintendent Shannon attended on Tuesday for the first workshop. We were one of 51 districts in the, the state to attend, uh, and there were 153 total who did attend. It was one of the, the most well-done starts to professional development that I had been to. Uh, we had a keen interest in it um, because our class, our cohort, had done a lot of feedback um, in design. So the group that was designing it, we were sort of their test case, and they would provide it during class. And what do you think about this, and what's happening here, and what's missing there? So to see it come to fruition, I talked to the president of MASS, and I said, you must be really proud. Today was a really, really good day after a years-long uh, piece of work. Uh, it was very student-centered. It was very instructional-centered. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it had a nice balance of the strategic work and, a, and work at a very human level as well. Uh, so I can't wait to, to go to the next one. And uh, we learned a great deal that we can immediately bring back to our district as well. Uh, and then I already mentioned the action step here which is, again, a deliverable out of this, is that we have a strategic long-term plan at the end. Uh, and I, can't, I really can't wait to see some of the, the meshing of the recommendations from the Ready Workshops with the recommendations uh, that come out of the equity audit. And I think that's going to be a critical piece that we see moving forward. So those are my particular goals with the standards um, and the action steps. So thanks, thank you for the time for listening to them. Excellent. Thank you so much. Do we have any questions from the committee? Yes, Ms. Ryan. A couple of quick questions. So um, in terms of the first one, the student achievement goal, so ideally in the 2023 MCAS testing, the percentage of students reading, reaching, exceeding, or meeting would be 59.5%. Correct. Okay, yep. great. Yep. Now, in terms of the uh, quarterly check-ins around math, so at K-5, to we have the reveal math being rolled out. It's K-12. to Oh, it is K-12. to Okay. Yeah. All right. And then at the high school, we have the new math pathway. Yep. And then it's also, I'm also in the term STAG. So I think it would be helpful, especially with the math pathway being so new, to do a check-in in terms of with the, the committee and the community, yep. maybe November, December. So, so to get some feedback, how is it going? Because it's so new. Yeah. And if there's any, you know, at that point, it would be nice to capture both student and parent feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And then allowing for if there needs to be any course correction, um, you know, sort of do it in, in mid-year, so to speak, as opposed to perhaps yeah. retrospectively. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that I would love to get here how the new math pathway is working. It's a great suggestion. Yeah. yeah. I, I do want to check about the, the HR goal. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we budgeted for an HR generalist. Mm -hmm. I know the position had been posted last May, so I'm not sure how that is fitting in with this. So, sure. so how does this how does this work with we, we didn't hire an HR generalist? Right. Yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So how does this fit with with really what the goal was, which was to get a, a person hired in the district to oversee HR? Right. We we quickly realized um, that we knew we needed to get uh, additional HR help with. Uh, you know, I think our staff that works on HR uh, does a fantastic job, and there there needs to be sort of a, a higher level mm -hmm. uh, position around uh, some decision making with it. Right now, we have a setup in town where we have an HR director mm -hmm. um, out of town hall. 
we have the opportunity, but we'd have to discuss some bylaws with the town uh, if we were to have a uh, HR director specifically for the school. So in our investigation, mm -hmm. and one of the reasons we called it a generalist, and right. we had talked about this, yes. is that you can't have two directors, right. HR directors in mm -hmm. town. Mm -hmm. We made a choice last year to go with the generalist, mm -hmm. um, and we had a, a price point and a salary. It did not get us uh, particular candidates mm -hmm. that were going to move the needle, nor mm -hmm. were we at a point where we were going to take on uh, someone that you know, wasn't quite ready to, uh, to meet our standard or um, meet the needs that we were looking for. Mm -hmm. um, so we have tabled that. We have a short-term plan uh, to possibly address some of, the, some of the goals, such as writing job descriptions and, mm -hmm. and doing some of the work. But that's part of the, my goal is to codify some of those recommendations mm -hmm. so that we can move forward a little bit. The experience that we had I think was was sound. I think when you when you learn about things, doing this work, I wish we had done this work last year, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. why when we put forward that, we put forward a, a budget item that needed a better fit with our organizational structure um, with it. So that's one of the reasons uh, that we made that shift and pivot. Talked about that with the the committee uh, leadership and. Uh, you know, like I said, this is centered around human resources, and we, we possibly have a desire to have a specific HR director for mm -hmm. school, but I get a little bit more vetting to do, and obviously some collaboration with the town. Um, so who's actually going to do the work? Are you going to hire a firm? Like, who's actually going to do this work, and what's the timeline? Because, again, in, in the conversations where we identified there was a need for the schools to have an HR person, yeah. we identified there were gaps. Yeah. And my concern is the longer this goes on, those gaps aren't being addressed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the missing job descriptions, yeah. that sort of thing. So how, how, does this, how is this going to work? So that's the short-term goal portion. Okay. We, we have, um, through our strategic partners, we have, we have seen uh, professionals who have um, dedicated their professional life and education and human resources. Mm -hmm. um, they are available for consultancy and short-term work um, to do that uh, if available. But that's something that I want to present to the committee. Okay. Uh, go ahead. So I was going to say, so when will you come back? Because I truly am very concerned about HR. I mm -hmm. think it's it's really been identified for quite yeah. some time now is a, is a real need. Yeah. So I'm curious, what is the timeline to, to make some concrete progress in identifying these various steps. So, so when will you be coming back with, again, a, a plan, a timeline? Yeah. So I think the, the first thing is we know that the budget timeline, you're going to hear that from Mr. Marshall, mm -hmm. is coming soon. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a preliminary plan for that part. I'd say within a month's time, um, I mean, I can even expedite that because mm -hmm. um, we have some folks in mind who can possibly help, help us in the short term to address this. Uh, and we can use the funds available specifically uh, that we're going to use for the, the generalist piece. But to do the short-term tasks, uh, there's, there's a, a means to do this. Um, I believe this is the right way to do it. I get the urgency part. Mm -hmm. I totally understand. But the one thing that I've learned in my position is if, if you don't have the right organizational structure and the right, uh, the right person into it, you know what human resources is, is, is you end up spending all your time managing the wrong person mm -hmm. in the role. 
So I, I made an executive decision with the support of the team to, we needed to take a step back. We need to dedicate some funds to get some specific projects and work done on the short term. But we also have to have the long view to make sure that we get the right title and the right profession, the right skill set to advance us into that. So I can come back as, as soon as possible Great. with it because it, I get the same level of urgency and I'm, I don't mind doing the human resources work, but it's also something that I, I know we, Jody Middleton and I, the HR director, we talk a lot. Well, again, because getting back to utilization of resources, oh, you, yeah. shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing HR. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you, your job is to run the district. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, yeah. So, again, I would like to hear what the plan is. Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. And I think one, one aspect is I don't want it to be an ill-informed plan. You know, I have, to, I have some good resources, good contacts of folks that have been HR directors in town and have been um, in some districts assistant superintendents of HR and to, and to get their perspective about what's the priority list now and what does it look long term. So. Any other questions, comments? I'll just second. I think that it is important that we come back with a plan. I don't want to, sure, I, I'm no. happy with all the conversation. I just want to make up my point of saying I think it's important. And you shouldn't have to do the HR report. Yeah, it's, uh, we, you don't totally get it, you don't get away from it. Because yeah. in the role of super, you're, you're the final decision on some things. Um, and I actually always look at work as, you know, Transportation has been tough, but now I have a deeper understanding of transportation. Mm -hmm. Human resources uh, is important and tough, and when you have 500 some odd employees, you learn a lot along the way. I mean, it's pretty much the great majority of what I did through COVID mm -hmm. uh, for staff in some different roles. So, um, but it's not the it's not the best structure for the district, um, and I appreciate the support to to move in this type of direction where we can. Get a possibly an HR director for the school. So, sounds good. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, next item G8, Superintendent Evaluation Plan. Um, and Chair Miranda, obviously not here again. Um, so, I will lead this and, and welcome any input from the school committee to share an overview of the 2022 2023 school committee evaluation plan. Uh, I'm not going to do it in, in such great depth, although there's a great document that Chair Miranda put together for this, but um, kind of a more baseline plan uh, for that. And for the 2022-2023 um, school year, we have, uh, we're following DESE framework, MASC best practices, and for evaluation, and also taking into account, of course, the superintendent's feedback, the legal counsel and the school committee members feedback. So this is a one year cycle starting July 1st, ending June, shouldn't probably be June 1st, but it says June 1st on there, <laughs> end of June, mm -hmm. 2023. Um, and this will include both a formative assessment, which I believe is January, a summative that is in May, um, a couple of the things addressed in this document um, is how often should the superintendent update the committee? 
and it's continuously on progress at each school committee meeting, basically. Um, the other things to oversee another question is how will um, the superintendent report their self-assessment and proposed goals mid-cycle goal progress and end-of-cycle goal progress and performance on focus indicators um, there are all kinds of recommendations for that and um, formative and sub summative assessments so the full documents available for everyone um, just in interest of time not trying to take away from the thoroughness of the document that was created and its importance, but wanted to see if anyone else wants to. I actually, I have a question that I'd like to open up to the committee. Um, so I'm familiar with the SMART goals from my work in finance, mm -hmm. and I was reading through what's listed here, and it's not what I was familiar with, so I just went and pulled it up again. Um, some of these are expanded, and that may be okay, but some of it is flat out different. So the way it's written is specific and strategic, measurable, action-oriented, rigorous, realistic, and results-focused, and timed and tracked. Mm -hmm. What I'm familiar with is specific, mm -hmm. measurable, attainable, which is a very big difference from action-oriented, mm -hmm. um, relevant, this uses, this doesn't have relevant at all, it just has rigorous, realistic, and results focused. Um, and then timed, time bound was the T that I was accustomed to. My concern is that attainable is a pretty important component of the SMART goal, and it's not represented in the reimagining of them. I think this is the DESI definition of SMART Oh, goals. is it really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. No kidding. Yeah. So DESI has reimagined the uh, SMART goals. Well, that is fascinating. I'll say that the group that we worked with over yeah. the, the summer used attainable. Um, right? And it's From DESI, you mean? Or? No, I, I just think there's whenever you have engagement SMART. with SMART, there's, there's different terms associated with the letters. Right. Um, this is, you know, I think what, what DESI has, but I also think in the profession, it's also attainable too. Okay, so, so that's, that's just an just understood component. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a perfect example of it is we had a goal of you hiring somebody in the HR generalist position, but we also understood that the goal is not to hire somebody in position, it's to fix the problem. You know, so we understand that action-oriented is important, but we also want to be able to attain those results, and if we erred towards action there, we wouldn't get the result. You'd be stuck spending all your time supervising somebody who didn't know exactly what to do. Um, so I think like that's a good framework of why we might want to think about it both ways. That's all I have. Good point. And what was your R difference too? Oh, no, so R, uh, I have relevant. Relevant, okay. Um, this one's rigorous, realistic, and results focused. And I guess realistic does bring in a little bit, but it also splits it makes it a little more difficult. The one that I was accustomed to, um, the whole point is that it's really simple, right? There's one word for each of the S-M-A-R-T. Right. Which is remarkable in finance because it, it's not often that you see them simplifying things. <laughs> Unless you're Steve Marshall. You simplify everything for us. Yeah. So do you, I just want to make sure that 
we are addressing the comment because I, I understand. I, I, I'm following everything that you've just shared. So do you think that we need to go back and make edits to the document? I mean, my suggestion was to um, make those adjustments, but I also did not realize that this had come from Disney. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds like there's, there's practice, and then there's what's on paper. Um, what do you think? I mean, is it important that we are listing just what Desi is here, or is it what we're understanding to be what our target is? That's kind of part, part of my question was because I was looking at the definitions are probably taken from what we are following a guide of right. a, a body that guides on how we should be moving forward, but is there room for us to add or to comment on some of the attainability around the goals? That, that I think that's a fair question to at least ask or find a place to include. But I know I'm not the author of the document, so I, sure. it's just a comment. As long as you're comfortable with that and everyone is, I can look into that. Yeah. yeah Report back on it. We're I not voting or anything. Today, but right. just to evaluate right. if we right. want to. And it may be the case in which we go through the full cycle and then come back in a year and say, actually, we'd rather do you know, the, the different, rather than the DESI smart, so to speak, yeah. we tweak some of it. So. As long as we all agree that action-oriented doesn't overwrite attainable, then I'm good with it. Sounds right. good. Okay. No other feedback. Okay. And moving on to the next public comment, we already did earlier in the meeting, so we're on to Section I, Director of Finance and Operations Report from Mr. Marshall, reviewing budget timeline targets for the 2022-23 school year. So I have provided um, the budget timeline uh, starts with our capital budget. I think what is important is um, finance subcommittee uh, will begin reviewing capital requests um, in just a few weeks. I think we have um, a meeting on the books for the 19th um, and then the following week uh, we'll be coming uh, to the full committee um, uh, at the November 3rd meeting and then um, again um, at the November 17th meeting with Capital. Um, I believe it is uh, definitely the case that CCPC is on hold um, for, uh, for this year, so we will not be bringing forward anything for CCPC. Um, and then we have uh, some tentative uh, dates regarding the operating budget schedule. Um, which uh, we expect to be bringing our first uh, superintendent's budget request to the school committee on January 5th, um, and then again on the 19th, um, and then we go back to the town and, and we'll then come back uh, in February and March to finalize everything. Um, so these dates are all tentative, um, but um, as we begin working um, with our new town administrator, um, on understanding, you know, the process, uh, potential for any minor changes um, through that process, uh, and with our uh, town finance director, uh, Mr. Scollins, on, um, you know, revenue forecasting and, and that whole process, which is actually going to start as well um, in the next few weeks uh, as we'll have some uh, preliminary meetings um, with our town officials as to the budget process. Uh, but wanted to provide this so everybody kind of had a, a general sense as to where we are, what we're looking for for um, timelines, um, and it helps us from a subcommittee standpoint as well um, to get meetings and understanding where we might be scheduling meetings uh, through the busy uh, budget season. And that concludes my report for tonight. Excellent.
Thank you. Any questions about that? Okay, thank you. Consent agenda, item J. Does anyone have anything they'd like to pull out of the consent agenda? I'd just like to pull up the surplus property for a quick um, discussion among the community. The disposition oh, of tax item yep. four. Yep. Okay. So we'll pull that out. And it doesn't have to be held out. I just wanted to bring it to the committee for a conversation. Okay. Do you want to start? Yeah, like I can reverse it. Well, <laughs> yes. Oh, so please. the appropriate protocol. Okay. <laughs> Point of order is to pull it out of the consent okay. agenda, mm -hmm. vote on the consent agenda, and then have yeah. the conversation. And then we'll do that. that. Okay. So let's do that. Let's pull item four out of there. Does anyone have anything else? Items one, two, three, or five that they would like to pull out? No. Okay. Hearing no opposition to those, do I have? Um, we have a vote on items one, four, three, and five. Move to approve. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Four zero. And uh, do we want to discuss that separately, or does that off offline the no. item, item four? Uh, no, actually, just it was just something I wanted to bring to the committee. So, when reviewing the surplus uh, <coughs> property, it's history books. And one thing we've, we've heard from our families in um, both our family surveys, anecdotal conversations, because so much is moving online, parents really are, are struggling with what their kids are actually learning. They don't see textbooks, they don't see paperwork. And, you know, I think if they want to help their children, they're having difficulty because, again, there's no textbook to work with. So not, not every class, not every student. But I think it's an important conversation to have is to understand uh, and perhaps this is a teaching and learning opportunity, is as, as we migrate away from textbooks and paper, how does that impact learning? How does it impact parents understanding their child's learning and being involved with their child's learning? So that's the reason I, I wanted, I think it's something that, um, again, I would say there are many parents struggling with it. And the other thing too is we migrate towards more use of a computer, especially, you know, again, in our family surveys from June, <coughs> Parents don't want their kids on the computer more. Again, some don't mind, but there are folks who are concerned about the increased use of technology in the classroom, especially after the pandemic. So I think these are, as we sort of listen to our families and hear what they're saying, I think it's an opportunity to address those concerns, discuss them, perhaps put them in a context for understanding. So um, that was just prompted by seeing the disposal of books and how does that fit in with the district. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Is there a particular age group that the dissatisfaction targets? You know, is like, is it that elementary school parents aren't understanding it, or that high school parents? Are? I would expect that high school's been using a computer for a good long time. Um, so I just I wanted to know if there was clarity around. Yeah. So the, again, the surveys I put them in the common drive. Mm -hmm. So if you want to review them, I put them in an Excel spreadsheet that's very easy to read. I mean your comments. Yes, no. So I'm saying what I'm saying based on what I'm reading. So at the elementary level, there is a concern around um, so much time on the computer as opposed to um, using more paper, paper, pencil, writing things. And then it seems especially middle school and high school is more migrates to an online sort of classroom situation. Parents are not, because they're not seeing stuff coming home or they're not sure how they can access what their kids are learning, whether it's a case in which a parent wants to help a child with, say, a math problem. If there's no book to which they can refer, uh, that, that's really a, a struggle for parents. So I, I think, it, again, it's if this is the way of the future that everything migrates to an online environment, 
then let's talk to our parents about that and help them understand it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think it's an opportunity where, you know, I mean, if we're seeing gaps and honestly, like there's a learning curve. Mm -hmm. um, when my child started middle school, I had no idea how to access the Plus Portal. It didn't make any sense to me. I just didn't get it. And I can't even imagine what I'm gonna learn when they go to high school. Um, so I absolutely, I, I hear what you're saying and I think it makes sense. It sounds like we do need a little more communication. Um, hopefully it's better this year. Um, but I definitely still see stuff coming home for mm -hmm. my kids, um, and I have elementary and middle. Mm -hmm. And they are getting the IXL this year, so that'll be helpful. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it sounds like as, as kids are getting older, there's less and less sort of concrete stuff that parents can look at. So I think that's part of the concern, too. So again, how do we as a, as a district sort of educate parents and families what the thought process is um, to move away from a, a, a textbook to online resources? How that facilitates learning? Um, does it work for all kids? Should we have? Should there be options of textbooks for a kid? I mean, some kids are auditory learners. Some kids are tactile learners. Some kids, you know, um, are going to watch a video and can learn more effectively than actually reading a textbook. But how? Do, if, if we know we have different learning styles for kids, how do we make sure we're addressing those different needs with the tools the kids need? So again, rather, so I'm not saying hold up this disposition of property, but I think we need to have that conversation of how are our students learning, how are they best learning, and how do we support families understanding um, what's going on, especially as the kids get older. So I think for the public, and I, I want to lean on um, Mr. Marshall here for a minute. I I appreciate the the educational discussion. I want to make sure that when we go through the process, the the community doesn't think we're disposing of textbooks in place of but I just want to I want I want to make sure because I think the educational discussion can be misinterpreted with sure. the process when we dispose of school property it requires a vote mm -hmm. um, and it's not I, I gotta I gotta lean on mr. Marshall a little bit for the specifics of the disposal request but it's not in generally generally to um, go to online or have some, it usually means it's outdated of some sort or, can you share? Yeah, so um, a large portion of this disposal um, is books that we already have a newer version of the book. Mm -hmm. um, so this is not actually, um, like, you're, you're not wrong, right? We're moving mm -hmm. to, to right, technology. Right, right. Yeah. In this instance, for um, for a large part of it, that was not the case. Mm -hmm. um, that these were uh, outdated uh, versions of a book that we already have a new version, um, or books that have not actually been used for over 15 years, but were still uh, in the library or on a shelf somewhere. Um, so that was the specific disposal. And I know we're having multiple discussions about high school um, history books and even a, a new version. So um, I think in many instances we are still trying to keep a, a, a textbook um, in use um, and um, and trying to balance. Um, I don't want to take the words. She's shaking her head yes, so I'm doing good yeah. so far. But you know to balance right and um, and so we do understand that and we need to look at that um, as to you know how are are all of our kids learning. Um, so. In this instance, uh, a variety of these books were either just, there was two or three left um, that needed to be disposed of, um, and the large portion of them, we already have a newer version, and we're actually talking about how to re replace that newer version <laughs> that's, um, that's still here. So to the point then of, of our parents are kind of getting lost in this, so not this specific, but how do we educate our parents? How do we engage them so they're not feeling like sort of left behind as they're trying to figure out what's you know what's going on so that's really the, the what I wanted to bring forward is is that point of view 
of how do we educate our parents, because we're hearing from parents, whether it can be a survey or just anecdotally, not quite understanding and how do they get more engaged, because we want parents to feel as engaged in their kids' learning. Sure. So how do we give them the tools? And I think through curriculum review and that timeline, we will see that. Um, you know, I think through the math curriculum, um, there's been a lot of conversation as to you know what is online, what is text, uh, what is a workbook type of version. And so I think as uh, the teaching and learning department goes through that curriculum review timeline over the next few years, you will hear more and more as to what is it online or um, a, a digital uh, type of platform um, versus a traditional textbook. <laughs> And, and how are we um, combining those two uh, pieces? I know I can speak to the open houses this year and the teachers, in my experience, I don't know about everyone else's, but doing a great job of the overview of what was gonna be studied in the curriculum that year and giving resources. And also in past years, um, things you mentioned math, the new way of learning math. Um, I remember attending quite a few elementary school um, sessions that were specifically Absolutely. for parents to to explain okay this we know this isn't the way you learned math so we're going to show you exactly how your child is learning math now so that you can be a resource for them at home so those were two bits of info i had to give but miss cummins i saw you had something oh, to say as yeah, well with the math this year with mcgraw hill um we have our online textbook if needed however we do get the hard copy it is the same thing whether or not you want to work on paper or work online if you're online you have access to all other assignments along if you want to go on IXL there's that resource as well so if you have like a math test um, you can study the book within school but if you don't want to bring the book home it's the same problems you can do online they're easy accessible nice thank you there was, there was an emphasis to talk about this during open house because we know that you know what resources look like and we we went into uber mode as far as uh, technology through COVID um, so the open house has definitely addressed it I would say there's always an opportunity if you have further inquiry um, in the spirit of partnership if there's an individual um, interest or, or question reach out to the department head at the secondary level that is a big part of their work to monitor the resources and communicate and talk about uh, curriculum with families. Uh, principals, of course, are a resource across all different levels uh, to engage that. Um, but yeah, I, I think one of the things that the publishing companies are doing is, and it's for their own sustainability, to be honest with you, is they offer online um, books and, and then a hard copy as well. Uh, and they, they've also heard the feedback that you, you can't learn at the optimal level if it's all digital um, so I think we've seen different trends with regard to that so the own resources but just you know back to um, disposing I, I don't want folks to look at a disposal request because there'll be more forthcoming you know, it's part of the curriculum review and it's part of the right school committee process mm -hmm. it doesn't mean we're throwing out textbooks it actually would indicate that we're updating and I hope families would look at these requests as good vetting, good process, and, and likely an update um, uh, with a more up-to-date up version of it. So should we get this back and vote? Can we bring it back and vote on it now? Even though mm -hmm. we took it out? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just out of the consent agenda. Okay. So Everyone I would want to, are we done? okay with it? Okay. <laughs> I'll move to approve uh, the disposition of surplus property, the CHS textbook. All in oh. favor? Yeah. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. 
All in favor? Aye. Aye. It's 4 0. Excellent. All right, now on to uh, item K, update of subcommittee task force and liaison posts. And if we want to just do what we usually do with yeah, starting. Sure. <laughs> I'll the start. So we had our first meeting with the wellness committee, so the subcommittee, and uh, we had a great conversation. It was our first time we had representatives of the community, that dietitians that had volunteered to be a part of the group. And um, BAMETEC is the first time with new leadership running that uh, team as well. So we, right now I don't have any, any more details to report, but we're gonna be meeting three more times. We met with Dr. Muse as well. We discussed the new um, post-COVID or the new COVID guidelines that have been approved. And uh, we encourage, we also talk to Martha uh, about how can we improve or how can we support her or our intent to support her from a food services department perspective. So that's on her mind. I know that we've talked about this and we continue to bring that up. The committee or the group, the subcommittee was really interested in figuring out how can we serve other other food food sources that would be protein based or more fresh fruits and vegetables. Martha was very clear in sharing that there's a lot of problems with the supply of getting those into the school system. So we need to work with what we have and as a committee, we need to figure out if we can give her more money so that she can do better or more options for the students. But that was really the, the gist of the conversation. Okay. Um, I am excited to share that CDEI is hosting a global diversity event at the Canton Public Library on October 27th from 6 to 7 p.m. And we are deliberately targeting uh, both older and younger audiences this time there will be a puppeteer in the children's library. And that will be going on while, on the other side, we have some professional musicians, we may have some amateur musicians, um, and we're hoping to feature some of the celebrations or some of the collaboration that's happened at the school. And we're also going to have a keynote address from Kathy Lopes, who is the DEI director at the Newton Public School. And she's coming in to help us kind of take a macro and micro look at culture and perspective in our society. So bringing in the global diversity theme and thinking about how we experience it every day. So hope you can all make it. We, and this is absolutely open to everybody and we would really love to see you there. Excellent. Thank you. As far as policy committee goes, we spoke a little bit before um, that we met last week as far as any feedback that anyone has on the C policies, if uh, we'll be meeting again next week. So if anyone has feedback in the meantime, if you wouldn't mind emailing it just to me, and that way on the committee call, subcommittee call, um, that can be shared and gone over so that when we bring it for the third read, hopefully everyone's input is, is considered and addressed at that point to everyone's satisfaction. Uh, for content and communications, no updates there. Um, though for um, Canton Community Preservation, um, as Mr. Marshall mentioned before, alluded to before, there are no new applications being taken this year. Um, it, it's been a process of reviewing that and we're, our hope, our, our back is kind of up against the wall with town meeting and everything being done in time for that. So. Um, at the very latest, it would be the schedule of next year. Um, on target, the funds are still accrued through um, all, the all the sources, so hopefully it will be roughly double the amount next year. So, 
that is what I have. I'm all set. No. Thank you. Ms. Morgan? Um, just that uh, I, I'd ask the committee for some spending priorities or spending ideas. I've shared those with the full finance committee. Uh, I'm in the process now of going out to the CAPT meetings to just pitch budget ideas. So if anyone, I'll send the dates out. If anyone would like to join me, you're more than welcome to. But I, I keep it to a five-minute presentation just to say hi, welcome to you know, hi from school committee, and we're going to be talking budget with you folks. So just get on their radar screens. And thank you. I knew you were there earlier this week, right? GMS? Yes, I was there. Thank you very much. Rodman's coming up. JFK is coming up. So I will let you folks know Dave just in case. Okay. Thank you. I have nothing to report. Okay. And Ms. Cummings, you had an I excellent like, email to yeah. us that I'm sure you would like to speak to everyone yes, about. Yes, I always have something to talk about. Um, the Massachusetts Association of Student Representatives is having the Delegates Assembly on October 15th at the Courtyard Marriott in Marlborough. Um, this is open to anyone of any position, whether you are part of MASS, MASC, a student government, or um, a student representative to the school committee. Um, there will be workshops for students to interact together along with school committee members and superintendents if decided to go. And then the afternoon, we will look at what Mazer will be looking into for this upcoming year and what we will fight for. So if you're interested in coming, let me know if you have any questions. Excellent, thank you so much. Moving to item L, other business. Any topics not anticipated within 48 hours for the meeting? Set. Future business, the next open session meeting is scheduled for Thursday, October 20th, 2022 at 6 p.m. And with that, may I hear a motion for adjournment? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Four zero. Thank you. Thank Have you. a good night. Thank you.